You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 519. Yeah, he's up in the sky. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Lake Burton, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 27th of April, 2022. episode, how the Army Golden Knights caused a panic at the Capitol. An aerial stunt causes the crash of a Red Bull plane. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale, The Ugly Ducklings. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 519 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation, 1010 Winds in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA, and joining us from across the pond... In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer... Former RAF RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. <laughs> Hello, Good Jeff. God. Lovely to be back on the show. Uh, looking forward to a good one. Why is everyone pointing at me? Because we like pointing our fingers. You know, we're those kind of people. And by the way, uh, your plain tale about ug- the ugly ones, you're not talking about some of the co hosts, are you? Ugly ducklings. Ugly, ugly ducklings. Yeah, well, oh. they, they grow into beautiful swans like oh. you and I, mate. Oh, that's nice. Well, oops, we've oh, already man. done you. <laughs> uh, I beg your pardon. Let's, uh, well, so I didn't to speak. feel a thing. <laughs> that's what she said. Uh, from her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, it's Liz Piper. Good day, everyone. Over there. There we go. All right. And Dr. Steph, we're planning on her joining us while the show is in progress. Let's go to news. Stand by for news. An update on the China Eastern 737 crash. On April 20th, 2022, the CAAC released a statement indicating the preliminary report has been submitted to ICAO. Uh, the data restoration of the data of CVR and flight D, uh, the flight data recorder is still in progress. The aircraft left, left the assigned cruise altitude of 8,900 meters uh, radar recorded the last position at 3380 meters altitude, speed over the ground, uh, 1010 kilometers per hour. Is that right? Yeah. 
at a heading of 117 degrees. The radar signal was lost at that point. The main wreckage was found in a puddle of 45 square meters. Now you can throw up that. Um, there we go. Thank you. Uh, and a depth of 2.7 meters at, uh, and they give us a lat long that uh, we don't need to say. And included the horizontal stabilizer, vertical tail, left and right engines, left and right wings, fuselage parts, cockpit parts, as well as landing gear. All in that little, very, very small uh, place. Uh, right. Those recovered parts were transported to a warehouse for further analysis. Traces of fire were in the forest surrounding the crash site. I think we, yep, there we go. There's the fire in the forest. Um, the trailing edge of the right winglet was recovered about 12 kilometers from the main impact site. Flight and cabin crew qualification and certification was without flaw. The aircraft was airworthy with no deferred entries in the tech log. There was no hazardous cargo on board. Ground-based navigation facilities all operated normally. No dangerous weather was forecast for the area when the aircraft departed its cruising altitude. Radio communication with the aircraft was normal until 1416 local time, the last radio communication. So basically, <laughs> yeah, there's no, uh, what happened? Uh, doesn't really tell us anything except that the airplane just went straight down and made a very deep hole in the, in the mountain. Yeah, all we really know is that nothing major fell off before the event that might mm -hmm. have caused it. It all seemed to be attached to the aircraft when it yeah. went in. So, um, yeah, Still a mystery. That, that's just, just reduced ever so slightly the number of potential causes. Mm -hmm. True. So not a big update, but uh, an update nonetheless. So I'm hoping that we'll, uh, we'll be able to figure out something as the investigation continues. Uh, the next item in our news is this uh, from the Aviation Herald. An Air France Boeing 777-200 registration Foxtrot Golf Sierra Papa Golf performing flight uh, 953 from Malabo in Equatorial Guinea to Douala, Cameroon with 37 people on board was en route to Douala maintaining uh, flight level 090, which is approximately 9,000 feet. When the crew requested and was cleared to deviate north of the assigned route due to thunderstorms, later, while turning towards Douala, the uh, enhanced ground proximity warning system, the EGBWS of the aircraft, issued a terrain warning and called pull up, which the crew complied with, climbing the aircraft to flight level 130, which the crew complied with, uh, I'm sorry, where the uh, EGBWS stopped the warnings. The aircraft subsequently continued for a safe landing in Douala. Uh, so on April 21st, now uh, we're showing some slides of the, uh, why don't you back up one, Liz? That is the, uh, from the Malabo Airport in the lower left-hand corner, and we'll have these in the show notes, by the way, and the, the projected route of flight. But apparently there were some thunderstorms between Malabo and uh, the uh, uh, the shore of the, uh, the mainland. And... Uh, uh, so they deviated uh, to the northeast to avoid the thunderstorms. Uh, the problem is to the northeast is some very high terrain. In fact, Mount Cameroon, uh, the summit is 13,202 feet. And mm. we're going to see here in, the, uh, in their investigation, the final report, uh, what happened, uh, which made it a, a major incident. Um, let's see. The I'm going to skip down to 
the sequence of events. Uh, the crew, composed of a captain and two co-pilots, were performing a flight departing Malabo, uh, bound for Paris via Douala. So it was a en route stop. Uh, the leg between Malabo and Douala, which takes about 40 minutes, was carried out at flight level 90. The captain was the pilot monitoring and the co-pilot the pilot flying. Due to the stopover infrastructure, infrastructures and the short flight time of the leg, a departure and arrival briefing was carried out in the cockpit before takeoff. The flight file forecast uh, the flight file forecast uh, cumulonimbus and visibility greater than 10 kilometers at Malabo. At Douala, uh, METAR indicated the presence of a storm, cumulonimbus, and a ceiling of 1,600 feet. The uh, terminal area forecast, the TAF, uh, forecast rain showers and visibility reduced to 3,000 meters as well as a ceiling of 1,300 between 2 May 2000Z and 3 May 6Z. The operations control center informed the crew that the storm over Douala was in the process of moving west and that two airplanes had just landed there. In contrast, the precise meteorological conditions along the route were not known. Uh, let's see. During the briefing, the crew covered the following specific points. The terrain on the left side of the takeoff path required a right turn to be made, which is the opposite to the path specified by the FMS. Uh, the meteorological conditions at Douala were considered acceptable. Uh, the crew had been informed by the company's flight operations department that the zone of convective activity, which was present over Douala, was moving from east to west. Uh, the workload linked to the numerous exchanges with the ATC without a radar between Malabo and Douala was high for the pilot monitoring. Uh, the airplane left the gate on time. A member of the cabin crew was authorized to fly in the cockpit and was seated on the observer seat on the right of the relief pilot seat. Uh, the crew took off from Douala's, I mean, uh, Malabo's runway 22, initially turned right to a heading of a 030 to join the flight plan route, and then engaged the autopilot. At the end of the turn, after the takeoff, the crew indicated they observed numerous storm cells on the radar on the flight plan route and to the south. It was night. The cells were not touching. The crew could make out their shape and see lightning. The airplane continued its path northeast, deviating northwards from the flight plan route. The pilot flyings and pilot monitorings navigation displays were in the weather mode, WXR mode 5. The scale on the pilot monitorings nav display was 20, then 40, and finally 80 nautical miles during the climb. On the pilot flyings nav display, it was 80 and then 40 at the end of the climb. The crew used the Douala arrival chart, star runway 30, to navigate. The pilot flying saw a large red return on his nav display ahead of the airplane and another oblong red return on their right, which seemed to be moving forward with the airplane. As the PF did not understand what was causing this second return, he was not sure about its nature and decided to set his radar to terrain mode to clarify the situation, which simultaneously increased the scale to 80 nautical miles. He returned to weather mode six seconds later. Following this check, he thought that the return ahead of the aeroplane was a ground return from Mount Cameroon, and that the oblong red return on the right of the route was a false return. Around 10 minutes after takeoff, the aeroplane was six nautical miles northwest of Mount Cameroon. The crew indicated in their statements that their exchanges with the with ATC had become dense. The pilot monitoring suggested to the pilot flying that he take a right heading to join the start of the DME arc 
to runway 30 at Douala. When the airplane was on a heading of 061, the pilot flying controlled a right continuous turn to the selected heading of 120. Around 30 seconds after the start of the turn, the airplane was at approximate at an approximate height of 5,000 feet when the EGPWS terrain ahead caution was activated for four seconds. Never, nothing you want to hear, especially at night in uh, areas with potentially high terrain. Uh, the two nav display um, displays automatically changed to terrain mode. Three seconds after the activation of the warning, the pilot flying increased the selected heading to 134. The aeroplane continued to turn right with a bank angle of about 25 degrees. A few seconds later, the radio altimeter height had decreased to 4,150 feet, and the train ahead pull up. Warning sounded for eight seconds. The crew indicated that the nav displays turned red. In their statements, the cabin crew member in the cockpit and the pilot flying indicated that they made out trees on the right of the aeroplane. Mm, that's not good. Ouch. The pilot flying disengaged the autopilot and made a nose-up input, which is exactly <laughs> the right thing to do. He advanced the thrust levers forward, uh, full forward to obtain maximum thrust one second later. The autothrottle was disengaged five seconds after the start of the maneuver. Uh, the slide that we're looking at now uh, is showing... Um, the view from the uh, no to the northeast of Mount Cameroon, uh, the the flight's path is coming from uh, the the southwest. And if you see that little arrow there in the uh, in the graphic, that's the direction from which it's coming. And they've started their climb. You see where the warning is in the red, and then you can see where they started the climb. And you can also see this very large. Uh, cumula granite uh, cloud. In other words, the terrain, the the mountain. But they Mount never Cameroon. did climb above the height of the mountain. Uh, I mean, the mountain was the... Liz is saying they never did uh, climb above the height of the mountain. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But okay. uh, at where they crossed the mountain, uh, that the height that they did reach cleared the terrain at uh, on adequate? the slope okay. on the north side of northwest side Got of the uh, mountain. Yep. They weren't going across the summit. Yeah. And during the eight seconds of the warning, the pitch attitude and vertical speed increased. The maximum pitch was 15 degrees. I don't know. I, I, I've never flew the triple seven, but I, um, on my airplane, it would probably be closer to 25 degrees at this point. Um, the airplane remained in its turn and the relief pilot asked the pilot flying to level the wings. So I guess he was still in that 25 degrees when he was doing that high pitch and, uh, exactly what, uh, should have been said. Yeah, you need to get the best lift. We need to level the wings. Uh, the Egypt's warning ceased at 2014-20. The bank was briefly canceled before the term resumed with a bank angle of around 25 degrees, flight level 120, and a heading of 150 degrees were selected. On approaching flight level 110, the pilot monitoring told the pilot flying to stop climbing. The pitch attitude was held, and the pilot monitoring again told the pilot flying to stop climbing when they were flying through flight level 120. Uh, the radio altimeter height reached its minimum value of 2,100 feet, corresponding to an altitude of, of 11,500 feet. The summit of Mount Cameroon is at an altitude of 13,202 feet. Uh, at uh, well, anyway, the airplane reached flight level 130, the crew resumed navigation to the ILS DME arc of runway 30 at Douala and landed without further incident. 
<sighs> okay. Um, and then they, after that, all that, uh, they uh, had a conversation with the Air France Operations Control Center, and it was decided that uh, uh, for, for them to continue their rotation to Paris with the same crew. Um, anyway, the final report here um, has some um, probable causes. Um, the crew's concern to avoid storm cloud masses and the reporting with ATC to the detriment of monitoring the flight path. The crew significantly de- deviated from the filed flight plan, which made the safety altitudes mentioned therein obsolete. The simultaneous use of both radars in weather mode. The representation of Malabo Airport on a chart not to scale, which did not facilitate the identification of the position of the planned route with respect to the terrain. The uh, MORA, safe, uh, what is that, M- minimum um, obstacle out. or minimum obstacle, r- what is it? Oh. The MORA, not uh, the uh, min-, min obstacle something altitude. Uh, safety altitudes or grid MORA uh, not being displayed on the nav display of the Boeing 777s. I guess maybe it was designed like that not to, not to show on the uh, nav display. I'm not sure. Uh, the absence of a study of the en route phase when the operator carried out the risk assessment to prior to opening the route between Douala and Malabo, leading to the risk of dangerous proximity with terrain en route not being identifi- identified. Uh, the activation of the EGIPWIS alerts and the the immediate reaction of the crew meant that the collision with the terrain was avoided. So, you know, minimum it worked. Off, minimum off-route altitudes. Oh, minimum off-route altitudes? Okay. All right, very good. Thank you, whoever. Um, yeah, I was just looking at that. Told you us that Mocha, which is minimum obstacle clearance altitude, but I was thinking I of Mocha. Find yeah. more quickly. Okay, so that was Steffi's from Steph. Steffi's in the chat. Yay, Steph! Well, so even though she's not on camera right now, she is. She's still helping. She I is. Good job. Google, Thank you, Steph. Minimum off route altitude. Okay. You know, I, I hear the term a lot, like grid mora and that kind of thing, and I never just stop to think, what does that M O R A actually stand for? I know it means mm. you need to be careful because that means that there's, you know, high terrain in that area and you have to be uh, above that altitude. Above that altitude. Yeah. And you need yeah. to be situationally aware of the terrain. And so, so picture this. They're, they're, you know, if they had taken their flight plan routing, um, it would have been a problem because it's basically over the water, you know, sea level. And then not until you get to the coastline does the train start raising, rising up a little bit, but not like the big giant Mount Cameroon, 13,202 feet or whatever it is, off to their, to, to the northwest, uh, to nor- northeast. But because they were deviating around thunderstorms and they're at 5,000 feet thinking we have plenty of space between us and the water or terra firma. But uh, what they didn't, weren't aware of was the fact that this big giant mountain sticking up uh, was right in their path. And they got really close to hitting the darn thing. In fact, that red oblong return that they were looking at on their uh, nav displays uh, that the radar was showing, uh, the one that they thought was just like a false return was actually the mountain that they almost flew into. So, the one with the trees this a, on it. Yeah, the one with the trees on it. This is a very close, close call on this thing. And the thing that saved them was actually, you know, responding immediately to the uh, enhanced. Well, Taking ground proximity warning right? system. Yeah. And that's one of the uh, 
Liz is saying taking off the autopilot, right? Yes. I don't know if it's true for every airplane, but I think every airplane that I've flown, anytime you get a terrain, pull up, pull up, it's, you don't do it with the auto flight system. You turn everything off and you manually bring the uh, pitch of the aircraft to a very high pitch angle and you go full power and you kind of are in and out of the stall warning uh, system because you want to get this, you know, the maximum performance, the maximum climb performance out of your airplane as possible. And by turning off the autopilot, pitching up the, again, the 777-200, I don't know, 15 degrees is like really, really steep, or maybe they had a little bit more pitch to go to work with to get the thing to climb a little bit higher. Because toward the end of that, I don't know if it if it's your um, analysis or not, Nick, but toward the end of that whole maneuver there, I'm thinking they were thinking that they were clear of the terrain, but they were still awfully close to that mountain. Yeah, yeah, they were. Uh, uh, and you've got to not just clear the mountain, you've got to get, uh, you know, a, a suitable safety margin between you and the top of that mountain, which is usually at least 2,000 feet before you can consider yourself safe. Um, so, uh, yeah, you've made all, you, all the uh, main points there. Excellent, uh, Jeff. Um, the only thing I would say is that uh, this is a memory item uh, and it should be absolutely ingrained in your consciousness so that when you perform it, you perform it correctly. And one of the absolute first actions you do is roll wings level, which they fail to do, which is a bit disappointing because all the time you are trying to pitch that aeroplane up and get it climbing and they were in significant danger um, because as we saw from the uh, the lateral uh, graph if they'd been a few miles uh, closer to the um, actual top of the mountain they they were just to the north of it they would have hit that mountain no problem if they'd rolled the bank off um, and just pointed the aircraft skywards, they uh, might well have survived it had they been closer to that mountain. But uh, uh, it's the um, it's the horizontal, the side view, uh, Liz, that's the one. So if they'd been uh, pointing at the tip of the mountain, they would have clobbered it. Um, so get that bank off uh, and check the air brakes are in uh, full power and pitch to whatever that you're allowed to. Now, the lovely thing about Airbuses that I flew is you you do go full backstick uh, and allow the aircraft to pitch to its maximum angle of attack, which could be you know a, a very significant pitch angle, uh, safe in the knowledge that the aircraft will not stall. Uh, and you can power up and get an awful lot of height very, very quickly. Um, that's assuming, of course, you've got all the flight laws working for you, and there's no reason why you shouldn't 99.9% .9 of the time, um, which, which is great. Uh, so, you know, they, they did a, a brilliant job in reacting to it, uh, except for that one element, take the damn bank off, because it'll improve your uh, angle of climb. Um, yeah, and the other thing is their, their, their lack of understanding of the terrain modes of the aircraft. Now, to be absolutely fair, uh, you're probably only ever going to get one of these for real in your life. You know, most pilots will never get one. You might get one. And all the rest of the time you're doing this in the simulator. So the last time you saw this was perhaps a year ago at a, at a sim check when you had to review the uh, terrain modes 
and uh, what they displayed because they could have reacted to this a lot quicker, a lot earlier uh, on the terrain ahead warnings or even when they saw that red blob and if they correctly identified it. Uh, so um, the answer for that is if you're a professional pilot, you're expected, and I know it's tough because it's all ground school and you've got to work through the books and um, and it's something you would only really think about. You look at the sim profile and you go, oh, look, we've got some terrain avoidance procedures to do. I better review that part of the manuals. Uh, it would be lovely to think that every pilot has that fresh in his mind. Not always true, of course. Um, and uh, the, But the basic <laughs> problem is a lack of awareness of the mountain. Well, that's part of the route brief. Uh, it, you know, you should be looking at your brief going, good Lord, there's that, you know, it's not that far uh, north of us. There's a 13,500 foot mountain. And if you've got a, I presume they had EFBs and not paper maps, but even paper maps have all this information on it. Not quite as obvious, perhaps. But uh, if you've got an EFB and you're tracking your flight uh, along the uh, electronic map that's displayed there, which is, you know, got all the safety altitudes on, on it. Um, you know, you should be scratching your head going, we're at 5,000 feet in this box we're now flying into. It says 13,500 feet. Uh, shouldn't we uh, climb a bit perhaps or make sure that we know exactly where uh, the high ground in this box, this area we're going into is? So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm a little surprised that they were allowed to carry on. I think you know, after an in, uh, a situation like that, most guys would probably be um, suspended until they had done extra training and made sure that they uh, were okay to get back, apart from the fact that they must have had that preying on their minds um, on their next sector. But, of course, they're down route and you're not going to be able to pluck a whole new crew um, out of thin air, so um, uh, a set of pilots. So yeah, that's down to the company to decide. But uh, uh, very close. I, I'm so glad we've got them still here and that we're not talking about an accident, uh, just an incident. But it's something that, you know, anyone's still working. I'm in the lovely position of not having to worry about this sort of thing anymore. Um, just needs to go, oh, I wonder if I know all those uh, indications and uh if I got my memory drill drills absolutely right, so that if it happens to me, I know exactly what to do. It's a good reminder to get back in the books, perhaps. That's something that I think that the uh, the captain, the commander of this flight, did well was crew co cooperation coordination. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, the crew were composed of a captain and two co-pilots, one being a relief pilot due to the delayed departure of the airplane. The captain asked the relief pilot to particularly monitor the flight, acting as his eyes and his ears. The relief pilot shared in the subjects of concern imposed by the management of the flight, namely avoiding the storms, as indicated by the cabin crew member in the cockpit who explained that he saw the three crew members bent over the weather radar. In this context, no crew member detected the fact that avoiding the cum cumulonimbus had led them to significantly deviate from their flight plan, making the safety altitudes specified therein null and void. Um, so, uh, but it was at, at some point, I forgot exactly where here in this report, it does talk about the fact that the uh, the relief pilot uh, behind the captain uh, was, re you know, the one that reminded him to roll out, you know, to go wings level 
And, uh, you know, so it was a good thing that he was there behind the captain. Exactly. Kind of but him. if you've got an extra pilot, uh, then give him a duty to do that you're not already doing. Yep. So, you know, if you're, if you and the, and the pilot flying, the pilot monitoring, both staring at the radar, we really shouldn't do. Someone has got to be looking after the flight path. Right. Uh, then give the relief guy the other job. Um, I mean, you, you've got to change your displays to be able to see it, but at least he could be perhaps got his flight, his maps out uh, and taking a look at the flight uh, track going, wow, you know, look at that, guys. There's a 13,000-foot mountain in front of us. Right. It was almost yeah. as if they were completely unaware of that huge mountain right there. Yeah, it? which is kind of a problem when you've got a 40-minute sector and yeah. you, you you arrive, you do your bits and bobs, uh, and yeah, unless you're very familiar with it and have briefed it before, you really ought to spend a little extra time when you're flying amongst high terrain. Yeah. Hey, I notice someone is here. And she, of course, is coming to us from her lakeside studio in she is a skydiver a doctor a marathon runner strength training junkie ipa connoisseur and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper dr steph hey captain jeff hey captain nick good to see you guys sorry for being tardy traffic is terrible these days back to like pre-pandemic levels so I actually wasn't expecting you to join us this early. I'm, I'm oh, pleasantly really? surprised. Yeah, yeah. Oh, all so right. Am I. Well, we in all. In that are. case, yeah. Forget. Yeah, I forget that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> we're not accepting your apology. <laughs> Fine, I take it back. Okay. Um, so, and thank you for the uh, for the help with the uh, the minimum off route altitude. You're welcome. I looked it up previously because i read through that and i didn't know what it oh, okay. stood for either because oh you didn't have to tell dangerous. us that you could have just acronyms are, acted no, i'm like, just gonna say acronyms that. are acronyms are dangerous yeah. and um there's a lot of them out there and it's impossible for everyone to remember all of them unless you're actively like dealing in them and teaching them and even then i know people who use certain acronyms all the night all the time but they have long since forgotten what it actually stands for so <laughs> yes as long as you <laughs> know Never, what it what it means you know what it, you know what it how be, well yeah what it, what it stands so, for but yeah. you know um you get caught off guard when someone goes, oh, what does that stand for? And you go, mm. Mm. Why don't you, you look know, it I've been at, Tell me. I've been in this field for a long time, and I've been using that acronym for 10 years, and I don't remember anymore. Right. So They are dangerous for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, Steph. Well, uh, the first couple of items in our news notebook, we decided to defer until you uh, got here because they're uh, mm-hmm. both skydiving related. And uh, so the first uh, news item is uh, this, 1A from... Uh, the clip source is armytimes.com. Uh, the U.S. Capitol was briefly evacuated last Wednesday evening after police identified an aircraft that they said posed a probable threat. But the plane was actually carrying members of the United States Army Golden Knights. Uh, they are uh, a skydiving uh, precision parachute team. Uh, they parachuted into the nation- Nationals Park for a pre-game 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 demonstration. The alert. They were demonstrating. What, what for more may, pay or something? <laughs> yeah. So they were, they're the they're the U.S. Army parachute uh, <laughs> team. They do demonstration parachute jumps. Is the, uh, the term okay. for this type of? Yeah, right. Yes. So uh, the the alert from the U.S. Capitol Police sent 
congressional staffers fleeing from the Capitol and legislative building around 6.30 p.m. The incident suggested a stunning communications failure between the military and the Capitol Police, all the more remarkable because of Washington's focus on improving security since January 6, 2021. Um, The Army is investigating whether it followed all procedures to coordinate the event, according to a statement released to Military Times. Now, I don't know if we have it in the uh, in in this or not, but oh yeah, we do. Yes, the second item mm-hmm. <laughs> from APNews.com. The uh, <laughs> this happened, I think, the next day. The Federal Aviation Administration uh, have their tail between their legs. Uh, they acknowledged Friday that it failed to alert Capitol Police about a parachute jump at a nearby baseball stadium, a misstep that led to a security alert and evacuation of the Capitol. We deeply regret that we contributed to a precautionary evacuation of the Capitol complex and apologize for the disruption and fear experienced by those who work there, the FAA said in an unsigned statement. They are taking immediate steps to ensure that we always coordinate well in advance with other agencies to avoid confusion over future aviation events in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, let's see, the agency said its review of the incident in heavily restricted airspace is continuing. Uh, The FAA did not tell the Capitol Police that a small plane would circle overhead on Wednesday evening on its way to drop members of the U.S. Army Golden Knights. Uh, Let's see. Not knowing the plane's mission. Congressional staff. Okay, we already know about that. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi promised a congressional review of the FAA's actions, which she called outrageous and inexcusable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Anyway, so, yeah. Uh, so at first, you know, somebody in the army was thinking, oh, we must have screwed up. We didn't tell them that we were going to be flying nearby. <laughs> That's always your first reaction, isn't yeah. it? Oh, yes. no. How did we make yeah. well, so, well, I'm sure everybody one. involved is going, mm. <laughs> Joe, you called. Uh, where huh? did we miss this? This is a big one. This is a big one. So there's, you know, anytime you're doing a demonstration, um, parachute jump, there's FAA paperwork that gets filled out, even for some of the ones that I've done, which are certainly not of this scale. You know, people jumping into local high school football um, games and things like that, well outside of the Bravo, but you still, you know, if the FAA wants to know about it, you need to get the proper permissions and paperwork done. Um, and they're, you know, reasonably extensive forms. It goes to, in our case, it goes to the FISDO. Um, people, they look through it. You have to give them also information about where it's going to be, when it's going to be, who's going to be flying the airplane, who's going to be jumping. They want everyone's certificate numbers, medical information. Um, and then they usually come back with approval for it. Um, I don't know of any that we've done that haven't been approved, but again, not, you know, large scale things. Um, And before you launch, typically um, you call the appropriate um, uh, air traffic control facility for the area and say, hey, we've got form 7711-2 or something on file for our demonstration jump tonight. We're going to be taking off here at this time, still planning the jump to happen at this time. And just make sure they still give you the okay on it. Um, usually it stipulates you have to call an hour in advance. And as long as that's all okay, do it as planned. Call them up. Um, make sure that you have their blessing and permission before the jump actually happens. Make sure they can coordinate traffic in the area. And all goes well. Um, so presumably when they're, you know, and you have to let them know who's on the ground and who, you know, what kind of safety precautions are um, um, taking place and if there's any special things going on, like are there certain law enforcement folks that need to know about um, uh, the event that's being planned? And I'm I'm a bit surprised that in this case, you know, the military 
um, demonstration team somehow did not manage to coordinate. Well, the FAA did not coordinate that on their behalf if they were supposed to have notified the Capitol Police. Um, I'm also a little surprised curious, that guys. in this day of in this day of Flight Radar 24, that, that someone didn't just pull up the airplane <laughs> and say, "Oh, hey, that one belongs to the to the Golden Knights," and they're circling the baseball field. Mm-hmm. I see. What's uh, yeah, here. they could have put in a spoof uh, recognition well, there. Yeah, um, right. I, I'm I'm just curious how did the capital find out uh, do was someone just looking out of the window because they don't have a i'm guessing they don't have a radar up there i i'm I sure know. someone is tasked with uh, you know this is sensitive airspace and i'm someone sure with someone with a pair of binoculars I'm, I'm I not think sure they a, how they, they have a sophisticated system um, yeah. they they say of uh, yeah, they're, anti-aircraft they're with ensuring security for all these you know, government buildings and high-level government officials. So if there's anything that in some way alerts them. But yeah. f- funny thing, I kind of assumed, because it's not far from the White House and various no. other sensitive buildings, I'm assuming they would have one controlling authority for that to alert, and then they would, you know, the the, the White House would, everyone would dive into the bunker or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the bil- government buildings in that area would have been about, not just the capital. So I think you're right, uh, yeah, I have no idea yeah. how that information gets disseminated between different well, authorities. But I'm really also, interested to know. <laughs> what are they all doing at work at 6.30 p.m.? Like, go home. They're doing the work of our country. Are they? Yeah, I, yeah. haven't you watched West Wing? <laughs> they never go home. Oh, sorry. They usually sleep <laughs> in their offices. Yeah. Although it did say congressional staffers, and uh, they didn't really say congressmen and... Uh, no, 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 no. Just the staffers who do actually yeah. do all the The people like, are doing work. all the work. The actual uh-huh. work, yeah. yes. Uh-huh. The IHAL boxes does have a, a pertinent <laughs> question. Yes. Uh, so was this a premature evacuation? Probably not right. something you want to ask skydivers about. Mm. Okay. <laughs> kind of embarrassing. Uh, yeah. You might get more information than you planned on. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, good, uh, good tip. Yeah. Thanks, uh, mm-hmm. Steph. You're welcome. Yes. All right. Well... <laughs> Uh, I think we'll move on then to this next item. Uh, This is from avweb.com. The FAA is investigating a failed plane swap. Hmm. Okay, so you all remember that we had been talking about uh, an event uh, planned. Uh, This is a few weeks back, a few episodes back. And we had we kind of discussed what we thought about it and uh, what our you know opinion was regarding. Uh, you know, the legitimate uh, use of airplanes and yeah, the legitimacy of this whole thing. And, uh, and then we, I, I don't know exactly where we left it of, as I think we said, yeah, we'll we probably kinda, watch it. We were kind of split on, yeah. you know, level of enthusiasm, excitement, or just why are right. they doing this? Doesn't seem like a good idea. Um, we're yeah. kind of split. Well, so uh, I was reminded uh, by, I think it was Liz, you reminded me the evening of that uh, uh, Red Bull stunt Sunday night that it was going to be coming on. And so I checked out to see where I could find it. And I think Liz also said, I think you you have to watch it on Hulu. So I was watching it. And uh, man, if you started watching it from the very beginning of their coverage, it wasn't until almost three hours later before they finally. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. Nothing better streaming on Hulu that evening, just plane swap, apparently. Exactly. So uh, we have some um, video of the event here. And oh, here, exciting music. Okay, so this is the point at which the airplanes, uh, we talked about the the big giant 
uh, carbon fiber aluminum speed brakes that these things had on the bottom uh, of the uh, aircraft to uh, extend so that they could point these airplanes straight down. That was the plan. And uh, they could jump out of each other's airplanes and then, you know, cross over and then get back in the other airplane and then recover from the dive. And so this, I, I stopped it right at the point where the skydivers have are leaving the uh, their their first airplanes, and yeah, pilots slash skydivers. Uh, at at this point, we're just going to call them skydivers. <laughs> and participants, uh, yeah, participants. Okay, so here we go. Very cool. They have smoke coming from. They have smoke generation generators coming from both aircraft. Uh, the one on the left, on uh, at least the video that we're looking at right now, the uh, airplane looks like it went beyond 90 degrees nose down and continued even further, maybe more like 110, 120 degrees past vertical. Uh, so uh, it's kind of going on its back a little bit. And, and it's starting to enter a an inverted spin. So uh, Luke... Um, the one that jumped out of the one that's in the spin managed to get over to the silver aircraft uh, fine uh, but the guy that was supposed to go from the silver to the blue the one that's in the inverted spin here said yep it's out of control it ain't happening and he used his I guess reserve chute looked like a pretty small no yeah, no, it wasn't a reserve shoe. Was it a regular? Okay. I know, as far as I know, they were wearing regular. Okay. So I was going to ask you, and I don't have the uh, video of this part of it, but I've seen several different angles of the uh, uh, replays of the video. It looked to me like when it first came out, the thing was really oscillating a lot. Um, and then as he was coming down for his parachute landing or whatever you call it with that type of uh, parachute, uh, it looked like it was going really fast. I'm thinking it just didn't look like as big uh, a parachute as as I'm used to seeing. But again, we have an expert mm, here, so it looks like it a, was normal a normal size parachute to me. Okay, yeah. All right, never mind then. Mm -hmm. And the reserve par the reserve parachutes would be very similar in size. Oh, would they okay. to their to their regular parachutes, if not slightly bigger in some cases? Okay. Mm -hmm. mm. Well, what do you think about this whole thing, Steph? So I actually, um, <laughs> uh, on the way home today, I, I came across this link from uh, skydivingmag.com or skydivemag.com. And um, they had one of their journalists who's also a pilot and a skydiver and decent amount of experience doing doing both of those things kind of go through, um, you know, uh, just kind of objectively his, his thoughts on it. And I thought it was a very good summary of kind of my take on it as well. Um, I'll give you the link to it because it's actually really interesting. He kind of just breaks down and goes through step-by-step, step, um, you know, his thoughts on it, but then also some of the potential ramifications coming out of this as well. Um, you know, from a from a technical perspective, from the, the piloting side of things and from the skydiving side of things, um, most skydivers I know were interested to watch it. I was actually at a birthday party for a fellow jumper, and we were all gathered around. Apparently, we could only find like a 13-inch iPad screen um, to broadcast this on in the backyard. So we were all really? kind of... yeah. Was that what we, yeah, were, yeah. we saw in that picture? I thought uh -huh. it was just like really far away. No, it was oh. tiny. Uh, we were all... <laughs> they, those jumpers, they're not very rich. You know, that's all they can afford. Everybody's, everybody's got, you know, computers and software and stuff and like all we had with us here at this you know party was some one person had an ipad that we could connect to hulu so anyway we all watched it and we all knew immediately it was like oh nope that's not gonna that's not gonna work um but 
you know, from the the technical side of things, you know, if everything works as it's supposed to, which clearly they had done quite a few um, test runs of this, presumably with someone in the aircraft the entire time. But um, there's definitely footage that they have of them, you know, leaving the airplane, having the speed breakout, airplanes descending uh, near vertical, trying to match those fall rate speeds. So, you know, I think they were aiming for somewhere around 120, 125. You don't want the airplane getting ahead of what you can comfortably do in free fall. Um, so you need to be able to catch back up to it and get back in the airplane. And that all looked like it was working okay. Um, you know, from a skydiving standpoint, not super technical. There's a lot of factors to be aware of. Um, you know, the aircraft aren't too far apart from one another. They're just leaving and then coming back to the, the other aircraft. Um, and the, the things to be aware of really have more to do with, you know, the aircraft itself as you get close to it. So you can be in the um, wake or the, the burble of the aircraft, um, you know, making sure that you're landing on the or grabbing the strut there at the appropriate place, staying out of the way of the windmilling propeller, um, and then safely getting back into the aircraft itself. But those are things that with practice and time, I think would be reasonably easy for these guys especially to do because they have a lot a lot a lot of experience as skydivers we talked about uh, that uh, the propeller sorry to interrupt you but the, yeah. uh, the propeller i was thinking you know we talked about this a few weeks back and they said the you know, the engines are not going to be running but no, what i didn't think about is that they're yeah the the, uh, the propeller is still moving around i'm thinking if you sure. accidentally get yourself close to that thing or or in its path it's going to hurt yeah you don't want to be near that thing <laughs> it's still no. gonna hurt <laughs> fast spinny things are, are bad um yeah yeah. Yes, quite bad. Um, so presumably they, they, you know, really thought that through about where they're going to be, um, you know, grabbing onto the aircraft as they approach it to be safe. Um, you know, and if it's not in any sort of stable configuration, you just abort it and take care of yourself and stay safe, which is clearly what Andy did because his aircraft was not um, falling in a way that he was going to be able to safely get back inside the aircraft. Um, did you guys see the a little... Um, <clears throat> side note here did you see any of the video um that was posted of the what do they call it brs ballistic recovery system kind of like a cirrus caps parachute that was on the aircraft yeah it it came out like just <laughs> very 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 late like a second <laughs> like, before it hit yeah yeah <laughs> no no chance that that was going to do anything no. to save that aircraft um the actual video is pretty impressive um i saw that i have to find that it was in someone's um skydiver who was there at Eloy. I guess there were a bunch of them watching from a safe distance, but was able to capture that and posted it to his Instagram stories. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> the, the poster yeah. looks a lot better than reality. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very nice. <laughs> um, you know, but then we, we kind of get into the, you know, the stuff that we had touched on previously in terms of the controversy surrounding this. So, hey, what's the point of this? Like, just purely entertainment? Yeah, I think so. Um is it something that's, you know, posing undue hazard or risk? Potentially, I suppose. You know, they're out over the desert, but, you know, someone could live under a rock out there and have no idea this is happening and just be hiking, camping. And what about those know, poor I snakes and, um, yeah, and lizards yeah. and scorpions yeah. and stuff? I mean, sure. they have feelings, all that, too. All that stuff. Um, so, and I know we'll talk about this a little bit more. It's probably in the, do you want to read the um, article a little bit about the what the FAA has um since sure. said about what's happened here. Okay, well. It might sound um, up a little bit better than what I yeah, say. AvWeb um, said that the uh, FAA is investigating the made-for-streaming Red Bull stunt. Um, 
let's see, the agency told Avweb late Sunday that it had earlier rejected, and by the way, this happened on Sunday, uh, that it had earlier rejected a request for an exemption from FAA regulations by organizers of the stunt. The FAA will investigate Sunday evening's attempted Red Bull plane swap in Arizona. One of the two single-engine Cessna 182 aircraft used in the stunt crashed after it spun out of control. We just talked about that. The pilot landed safely by parachute. The other pilot regained control of the second aircraft and landed safely. The agency on Friday, Friday, just a couple of days before this, denied the organizer's request for an exemption from federal regulations that cover the safety operation of an aircraft. In the, in the denial letter, the agency says it can see no public interest being served in the stunt, and it also said the stunt might affect public safety. It's apparently, uh, it has apparently refused permission for similar actions in the past, but in those cases, it was to simulate a crash landing. The organizer specifically asked for relief from 91.105A1, which says someone has to be in the cockpit when the plane is in flight. The FAA says the stunt actually violated other regs, too. Mm -hmm. Cousins Luke Akins and Andy Farrington were attempting to each exit their own modified Cessna 182 in a dive and maneuver to the other. We all know that. Uh, Let's see. Pilots had been working on the stunt for several months and installed belly-mounted speed brakes. We talked about that, that were supposed to stabilize the aircraft in the uncrewed portion of the dive. That's where it all went awry. The autopilot had also been modified, and this might be the part of the problem as well, uh, to hold the planes in a steady dive. It's not clear what went wrong. It also wasn't immediately clear where the crash aircraft ended up, but they did, as Steph just mentioned. Oh, we have yeah, a video they, of it. And we know exactly know where it is. <laughs> we, we have a picture of it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we also included, uh, I don't know if you threw that up there uh, in the, over, uh, the overlay of the FAA letter. FAA. I think I have that in there. Uh, Liz, there we go. There There's the denial of exemption, all official looking legal uh, paper from uh, the uh, U.S. Department of Transportation Fe- Federal Aviation Administration. And that's just uh, uh, basically they, they go through and explain why they have rejected their petition for an exemption. So basically, they did it anyway. <laughs> and, so this is the surprising yeah. part to me because, you know, um, Typically, when you get a denial like this, I think any, um, so I'm just going to speak for myself. If I was, you know, one of these guys planning to do this stunt, if I received this, I'd say, hmm, that's probably not worth my certificate. So I'm going to respectfully bow out of this um, endeavor. And I wish you all well if we figure out a way to get this exemption down the road or someplace else where we can do it, where they wouldn't, um, you know, care quite as much, perhaps, I will be happy to re- rejoin. Um, and I'm a little surprised that Red Bull as the, you know, kind of title and, and Hulu as the title sponsors and organizers um, were on board with continuing as well, because that's, um, yeah, that's that doesn't look good for them either. No, no, that was going to be my, my point, Steph, because mm-hmm. if these guys had done it off their own bat, uh, Ang's gone out of hell with the FAA. We're just going to go ahead and do it. You, you, you go, all right, pair, pair of guys who just want to prove a point, perhaps. But Red Bull uh, do an awful lot of this kind of stuff. They do a lot of and things. And it's yeah. pretty exciting. It's, it's good watching. It's adrenaline pumping. And the vast majority of it is done with high, actually a high degree of, of safety because they've analysed the threat and they've mm-hmm. decided that it's an acceptable 
risk um, for the participants. You know, you look at the Red Bull racing, the uh, the aircraft racing around those pylons and things. Absolutely brilliant to watch. Really fantastic. And yeah, I think it's done a lot more safely than it used to be in the old days when the pilots were solid and their aircraft falling out of the sky left, right and centre. Um, but I, I'm extremely surprised. I'd be very surprised if Red Bull uh, actually said, yes, you can go ahead, uh, because this is, would be completely contrary to all the other mm. uh, high, um, exciting sports that they sponsor and, uh, you know, back. Uh, so, sure. yeah, I, I think the, the cousins here made a big mistake in pressing ahead. Uh, I mean, I, I, feel, I almost Bull. have to feel like there's information that we don't yet know that allowed them to feel like that was an acceptable risk to take on i'm not sure um so i'll I'll be curious to see how this plays out for them yeah i mean perhaps they thought they were going to make so much money out of it that they could afford to pay the fine and live happily ever after Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even if they weren't going to do any more skydiving or flying (laughs) yeah i'm not sure so uh uspa to my knowledge has not said anything about um this event uh in terms of um, concerns or investigations with regards to the skydiving portion of it. No. Which is the, the regulatory body here in the United States for, for parachute, sport parachute activities. Well, skydivers um, are crazy anyway, so <laughs> what are you going to do about that? So two, two other points I was thinking of as we were reading through the article. I know, right? They're, they're the worst. Um, <laughs> so um, some speculation on, you know, what did go wrong with the aircraft? Like, why did it end up in that inverted spin? David Kreider knows. Uh, oh, yep. Well, he's he's kind of on the point I was going to make there, but he, I think it's probably actually take, correct. He, uh, David Kreider says he forgot to take the fire extinguisher with him. Led to the imbalance. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, if they never actually tested this without someone in the aircraft, was there a weight and balance type of discrepancy that allowed it to... Mm. Um, yeah. Or was it something with the autopilot that they, you know, kind of... Um, I mean, it might have just been the the rate of pitch. The autopilot wasn't uh, able to counter that rate fast enough. I mean, Um, I've flown plenty of GA aircraft um, with autopilots that um, kind of autopilot, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Well, so they in the in the two and a half hours preceding this this stunt, uh, they did a lot of uh, a lot of things. But uh, one of the things that I think was kind of useful, I thought, was. Uh, talking about the uh, engineer at Cal Poly, uh, the professor, I forgot his name, um, and how they designed the uh, that big giant uh, speed brake to deflect. And the original uh, modeling used for that um, realized that the, the airflow was going to be disruptive of the tailplane and that it wouldn't have enough control authority to keep the airplane from going past the 90 degree. Oh, and so they actually had to extend the speed brake panels about, I think they said 12 inches lower. And that mm-hmm. allowed uh, enough air to get between the fuselage of the airplane and the, the top part of that uh, speed brake extended at 90 degrees to flow through and then still have uh, the airflow going over the horizontal stabilizer and elevator to control that. But I'm thinking maybe they miscalculated uh, on that, or maybe the yeah. CG was enough out of whack where they didn't realize that it was going to be significant, and then it or, still didn't help. I don't know. I like Nick's idea. Yeah. The rate changed faster than anticipated, and the autopilot didn't capture it fast enough. Yeah. yeah. I think that's Another, yeah, very that's reasonable. Probably a reasonable thing as well. Um, 
And then to go back to um, where the FAA has refused permission for similar actions in the past, I think they were referring to, and I think this was brought up in the um, the video that was on skydivemag.com. Um, the, it was Mythbusters, I think. They wanted to crash, um, was it a 727 in the desert? To, or without, it was either... I, or a DC-9 or something. Uh, it was a 727 exactly. or a 707, something like that. 707. I, for, I forget. It was a while ago. But yeah. I, I know we've talked about that before at some point, too. But um, the FAA denied the permissions on that. So they moved it from uh, the desert southwest of the U.S. into Mexico. And that's where they <laughs> ended it. Well, there you go. So, uh, that hmm. would have been very easy just going across the border. I mean, if, the, if Mexico is willing to give you the permission, sure. Why not? I yeah. think he hit that button that no pilot would ever uh, push. <laughs> yeah, don't push that button. That red button on the yoke uh, when dude. he was jumping out. Yeah. Well, the good thing is... Yeah, the is... autopilot disconnect one. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, of course, yeah. uh, on the yoke? Oh, uh, you mean That's the autopilot yolk? dis... No. Yeah, that yoke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Y-O-K-E. We'll just call that an autocorrect fail there for you. The yeah. uh, good thing is that uh, uh, no one was hurt. Uh, and uh, the bad thing for these guys is that despite all their precautions, they still ended up with a crashed aircraft because they had obviously, if if that aircraft had come down on a parachute, they might have been able to argue was that there was really no danger. But that aircraft crashing, then I think the FAA kind of proved their point there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean... Uh, and what's more, there are plenty of danger areas around the states where they could have perhaps asked the military, can we do this in a danger area where no one's going to be, you know, or up on the red flag ranges or somewhere, uh, you know. Yeah, so I, I think they're on a, sure. a, a hiding to nothing when it comes to the FAA. I think they're going to get a, a big slap on the wrist. At least. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I agree. So there, well. Good discussion. Yeah, it is. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hoping that we'll be able to follow this and, and you know, figure out exactly uh, what happened. No, I, with that. I, I think just given the high profile nature of this and the amount of yeah. publicity that went on, we're going to hear a lot more about it um, oh, as, yeah. as time yeah. goes on. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, good. That's what we need for the show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, continuity. We need continuity. Yes, and, we do. Resolution. And uh, we're going to move on. And I should have had this already prepped. Here we go. And this next item. We're going green. We're going green. We're going green. Well, not us. We're going to take care of the earth. We're going green. I think it's the RAF going green. From missile launching battery powered quadcopters, say that five times quickly, to militarized <laughs> zero emission flying taxis for special forces, the demand for the Ministry of Defense to clean up its Environmental Act is forcing its main contractor, BAE Systems, to investigate a host of new net zero technologies. And the latest of it, I get net zero quite often. Uh, you know, the bandwidth just goes down to nothing. In <laughs> yeah. um, the late uh, latest of a series of deals and partnerships, BAE has begun work with Pipistrel, a Slovenian manufacturer of light aircraft that has produced the Velis Electro the first and so far only type certified electric aircraft in the world. Uh, we've, we've seen that at uh, Oshkosh um, a few Absolutely, times. Absolutely, yes. And uh, BAE wants to use the plane to pitch to become the sup, uh, supplier of choice to the RAF cadet and elementary flight training squadrons. Uh, under options in the Ministry of Defense's unpublicized project, Telem? Telem? Uh, The plan is for the RAF to become the first Air Force in the world to replace its 80-plus trainer planes with 
electric airplane, electric aircraft with a target date set for the end of the decade. The MOD is reckoned to be responsible for half of all government carbon dioxide emissions. Ooh, bad, bad. They do a lot of breathing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they breathe really, really fast. Kind of like the imitation yep. of Steph, Dr. Steph in the last show. <laughs> uh, did you did you hear that, Steph? Wait, what? Oh, I should have. No. You hear him? <laughs> I that, do. That was his imitation of you running the marathon. Is there something wrong with your pulmonary system? <laughs> <laughs> you probably it, should not be running marathons well, if that's how you sound. <laughs> no, that was you. That was me. Yes. No, yeah, comfortably was imitating carry, you. Can, that was my imitation. <laughs> yes. And comfortably carry on conversation. Thank you very much. It's a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> well, I had to get a lot of huffs and puffs in. Otherwise, okay. it would have been boring. I know. It would yeah. have been, yeah. Yes, the electric aircraft eye-haul boxes, you'll be happy to know, are vegan and gluten-free as well. Thank goodness. Yep. Anyway, um, I'm going to hand this off to to Captain Nick because he is our representative. Whether he wants to be or not, he's our (laughs) RAF representative on today's show. (laughs) It's all right. I had to be the skydiving representative, so it's your turn now. There you go. go. I'm spreading the wealth. There you go. So they say electric uh, train-up planes are amongst the low-hanging fruit in the ministry's drive towards hit net zero targets. We can see the market potential and shape uh, the requirements. Neil Apperton, uh, head of electric products in BAE's air division, said uh, of the potential for the Pipistrel Avelis Electro. Uh, the decision to team up with Pepistrol is a snub to BAE's long-term collaborator Rolls-Royce, which has been developing its own light aircraft electric propulsion systems and its spirit of innovation. The demonstrator has been dubbed the world's fastest electric flying vehicle after test flying at nearly 400 miles an hour. So, um, yeah, it, it's a big deal. Uh, it's going to be worth... a about oh let me see um the outfit oh that was the the slovenian outfit has been bought out by uh, 240 million by textron u.s industrial company is behind cessna's light aircraft manufacturer i didn't know that um yeah basically uh yeah the royal air force are going to go electric um i think it's a great idea um they certainly for primary training and for the air cadets uh, flight experience uh, you know the sort of endurance you can get out of a uh, electric uh, trainer is going to be perfectly adequate uh, i think in your primary training a lot of the time you're flying circuits uh, you know staying in close proximity to the airfield and you're not doing heaps of upper air work other than perhaps you know local area stalling uh, exercises perhaps a bit of spinning that sort of thing few arrows uh, and i'll be interested to see how well these uh, aircraft perform but uh, it's it's got to be good uh, because you know if you can offset a portion of your training then you're going to bring your overall co2 production down yeah i agree yeah. excellent all right anything else to be said uh, I don't know. Not that I've noticed. Okay. Well, that brings us to um, one of the things we talk about quite a bit on this show, uh, flying and drinking <laughs> <laughs> or alcohol. Alcohol. Um, yay. Bacardi. Yay. Alcohol. Dal- this is from DallasNews.com. Although to be fair, this is not my particular uh, favorite 
Uh, mine neither. I'm not a cognac. Yeah. Uh, who's uh, who's Bacardi Sue? Is that someone we know? Oh, you know, you know Bacardi Sue. She's like Comanche Sue, uh, but uh, <laughs> ah, okay. But she's Comanche from Comanche Sue after we a love, few drinks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Our apologies, Comanche of, Sue. <laughs> of cognac. Well, maybe we I don't know. Uh, but I'm a I'm in favor of Bacardi rum, but not the cognac. Uh, Bacardi sues American Airlines for losing hundreds of cases of imported booze. More than 400 cases of cognac went missing while being shipped from France to Los Angeles. And Bacardi is demanding that American Airlines pay up. Uh, When the shipment arrived at Los Angeles International Airport after a flight from Paris, six pallets and three cases were missing. Bacardi isn't necessarily accusing American Airlines of stealing the French liquor. Uh, it contends the carrier is responsible, though, because uh, the cargo was in its possession. Yeah, I think it's a pretty good argument. Uh, while in the possession, custody, and control uh, of American Airlines, six pilot, pallets, not pilots, and three cases were lost or stolen, uh, said the lawsuit, which was filed on Tuesday in U.S. District Court in Pasadena, California. Those six pallets are no small sum. Each pallet had about 70 cases of liquor, so more than 400 cases in total went missing. That's a lot of cognac. Was Colonel Jeff still flying? Oh, no, I think uh, Colonel Jeff had already retired by this point, uh, Liz, so he <laughs> will let him off the hook on this one. Off the hook. Okay. Although I know that Colonel Jeff does love his cognac. Off the hook. <laughs> off the hook? Uh, very cute. Uh, no, that's, I'm, I'm not sure that's even true, if uh, Colonel Jeff likes cognac or not. Anyway, Bacardi said the missing alcohol is worth just $65,820. I would have expected it to be even more uh, than cheap that. Cheap stuff. Yeah. Not the good stuff. <laughs> not the good stuff. I don't know. That sounds like a lot of alcohol to me. <laughs> well, I guess. I don't know. I, I didn't do the math to break down $65,820.72 divided by uh, 400 cases. 400? Well, hold on. Well. I've got a calculator right That's here. 400 multiplied by 12 divided. Yeah. $164 a bottle? Oh. Or a case. The, I'm sorry. $164 a case. Okay. Uh, and then divide the case by 12. Yeah, that's not. That's yeah, only 13, like twelve bucks. Thirteen. That's fourteen dollars. That's, that's cheap that cognac. Is, that's crap. Yeah, that's <laughs> crap. Liz says that's crap. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I don't know if we did the math right or not, but it doesn't matter because we just wanted to talk about uh, the cognac and the great cognac heist of 2022. Absolutely. I'm a little surprised that American didn't just cough up. I mean, they're insured. Yeah. Um, So what's going on here? They were afraid when they were coughing up that they'd have cognac on their breath. (laughs) (laughs) They were all too drunk to reply to the uh, letter. They're laughing at it. They're laughing at it. (laughs) (laughs) Pour me another glass. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. All right. Well, that that takes us to our getting to know us segment. And uh, I have a a little sounder for that here. Diddy. Yeah, a little ditty, as Liz likes to call it. Getting to know us to the uh, the wonderful music of getting to know you, the king and I. All right, so ah, let's um, let's go, um, Nick. I'm going to choose you first. What are you? What oh, have you been? Okay, what have you been so- up to? Well, my agent got me a gig with uh, PTUK, who pay considerably more than uh, 
yeah. at the airline Good. pilot guy show. So yeah. uh, I, I snapped <laughs> at that chance, and I was on on Friday. So presumably that's out by now. Yes, it must, yeah, it must have been out there. Mm. So my apologies to anyone I've offended on that show. <laughs> um, I'm going to offend a more t- a few more tonight on this show with our. Uh, <laughs> That's with, standard <laughs> SOP for offenses all around. Offenses all with around. A, <laughs> with the the tail tonight, and I offended a few people. High hope on the the last show with my uh, show cover art, but other than that, uh, life continues. Uh, uh, playing nursey nursey to Mrs. Anderson, uh, and um, you know, hoping that her recovery continues apace. She actually uh, tried driving her car today. She. Um, put it up on uh, a tree, uh, but apart from that, everything went very well. <laughs> Wasn't optimum. <laughs> Didn't okay. go as planned. No. Kind of like the yeah, no at least she got rid of that damn cat. But um, <laughs> that's why they have insurance. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. No, no, everything's ticking over nicely. Um, bowling season has kicked off, so uh, I'm finding that I've got uh, less free time which is a bit of a shame but uh, other than that uh, life's fine and beaut uh thank you very much hi pass to the next uh, uh host okay we'll go over here to that lady how uh, did i end up Dr. on this Smith. side in the wrong uh, because place. but when you were talking a lot of the times you're you're facing you're kind of your head no i want it back the other way because she's kind of faces in well, it just has to do with where I put my screens. On. So yeah. my I have a very large computer screen, and it's nice. Yeah. So I could I could move it. Well, that's all right. I mean, I don't care where I where I. It's just am. hard. So it, I can't look straight in the center because then I have to put the the like Evernote right in the center, and then I yeah. can't see you guys as well. Right. Yeah. So I mean, I'm just trying to adjust it. So I just looked. I thought it looked um, the video like placement was, was better. Like you were kind of looking toward us. Sort Everyone of. who's just listening to the audio podcast is going. Yeah, what are they that talking mean about? I have to look like this all the time. Yes. Yeah. Okay. No. It's like the Brady Bunch. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, yeah, we talked about the marathon last week. We had a show since then. Um, so really, just um, the weekend. Wow, it was a it was a beautiful, gorgeous weekend here in Charlotte. And actually, that was Monday night. Um, we did um, quite a lot of flying this weekend, so it really felt like summer was kind of back. We had a couple of days in the upper 70s, low 80s, um, light winds, abundant sunshine, um, and lots of um, sport jumpers came out to jump, and lots of um, people came out to, to make a tandem skydive. And some of the sport jumpers came out to do a, a canopy course with some some very experienced, uh, well-known um uh, folks who do canopy competitions and then in their um, when they're not competing teach other people to be better flyers of their parachutes so we were very very busy this past weekend I think on so total on Saturday we flew between two airplanes we flew 43 loads of skydivers and I flew 30 of those wow <laughs> was, wow yes that's oh, a lot. Busy day. Yeah. <laughs> it was a busy day. It was a busy day. Fortunately, Sunday was not quite as busy, so that was good. Um, I still think we flew, I'm not even sure, 25 or 27 loads. But I flew less than half of those, and I had a chance to do some some fun jumps as well. So how many nice. uh, jumps did you say you uh, flew? I mean, you're, yeah, how many? How many, how many trips to altitude and back yeah. down? 30 on Saturday. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Yeah, it, it's, it is. I haven't flown that many loads in, in probably you know 
I don't know, at least since last summer. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, oh, it's exciting. It's fun. I'm glad to be doing a lot of flying again. And Sunday was not quite as busy, so I had a chance to do some some fun jumps. And um, when I was oh, flying, I thought you said funyuns there funyuns. for a second. I had a chance oh. to eat some funyuns. Yeah. The funyun yeah. effect. The funyun effect. Yeah. Fortunately, no funyun effect. Everything smooth sailing. <laughs> Good. And probably around, I guess, 11, 11 15 in the morning, um, checking in with um, approach control and, um, you know, say what I need to say to them. They give me my clearance that I need. And then someone goes, is that Steph? I was like, hello. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, um, not to clog up the frequency or, you know, um, um, uh, excite the uh, controllers too much. So or get a telephone number yeah, to call. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but apparently that was sufficient because then I got a, a, a Twitter message from one of our listeners and I did not tell him I was going to um, – uh, say this, so I will hold off on saying his name, but he knows who he is. And I, <laughs> you know one of our listeners, you know who you are, one of our listeners who um, um, flying, um, sur doing survey work. There was a lot of survey oh. work happening around Charlotte on Sunday morning, um, and the, the frequencies were quite busy with all of them asking for permission to be in the area they need to be in, the lines they need to fly, north and south, east and west, on station, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but turns out that's his his first paid flying job, and oh, cool. um, he had been listening to APG prior to me checking on on frequency, um, and he actually said that he thought his podcast started playing again. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> that's why <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. He's like, oh, "Wait a minute, <laughs> I know that voice." <laughs> that's brilliant. <laughs> so I got a, I got a kick out of that. That, that was pretty funny. Um, yeah, and then that picture that you showed that was actually from Monday night. Um, the that caravan was due for its hundred hour. Um, maintenance, and we do that um, just on the other side of the mythical triad airspace. So, oh, that's a sunset, um, not a sunset. That is, that is a sunset, correct? Okay. Yes, that was Monday evening. Beautiful. You look very happy. Oh, I was happy. I was like, yeah, I got off work and I get to go fly airplanes again. Great! Hooray! Yay! <laughs> and the, and the uh, microphone placement was perfect because he can't see your missing tooth in the front. Uh, yeah, you know it's embarrassing. <laughs> try to. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. She has the, fix, uh, the fake one. <laughs> the fake one's in there right now. <laughs> yeah. Implants uh, No. Yeah. They're all my teeth. Cool. Yeah. You have anyway. very nice teeth. Thank you. Um, yeah. So it's been a, it's been a good week. Good weekend. Um, hoping, uh, hoping next weekend is similarly nice, although I think we might get some rain. So we'll see what happens. But um, it's good stuff. Excellent. All right. Is that it? I think so. All right. The rest I, of it's just regular. The rest of it's just regular work stuff, and no one wants to hear about backstabbing. Yeah, that's true. I've done a lot of that too. We've been really busy. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go see my physio at eight o'clock in the morning. Ooh, God. Yay! Are they going to poke any needles in you? Well, she did last time. A whole bunch mm. of them. Mm. Yeah, so that was I had that acupuncture, uh, dry needling. Probably, I had that done yesterday. Also, so I. Yes. The only needling okay. I get is from Liz. You know, or nagging, or whatever. <laughs> that's that's worse needling. Full time, job. to be honest. Full time, like you know, mm -hmm. constantly. Uh, just kidding, Liz. Of course. Um, my turn. Yeah. You uh, go. Let's ahead, see. So last week, uh, the day that we were actually recording the show, uh, later that day, I drove into the Atlanta International Airport and just flew that one flight um, at night to you know how I love flying at night. From Atlanta to um, White Plains, New York, and 
we uh, we were waiting for the airplane to come in from I don't think it came in from Mobile doesn't matter uh, and then all the passengers were off and we went down and we uh, noticed that there was a, a a couple of mechanics more than normal <laughs> like usually there aren't, they aren't there aren't any uh, there were two or three kind of walking around doing things I'm thinking what's going on here because the pilots that had left the uh, aircraft had didn't say a thing. They said, Hey, it was good jet. And, uh, they said in their walk around, uh, they noticed that, uh, there was a hydraulic leak, uh, somewhere on the right wing. And, uh, so they were doing some troubleshooting. And so, um, we ended up, uh, do we, I think there was also another issue with the, uh, the flight deck door, one of the blowout panels in the door, um, had fallen off the rail. And so there was some some issue that had to be resolved there as well. And so one mechanic was working on that or I'm maybe I'm conflating that with another flight. I don't know. Anyway, the, um, that, that was fixed and we held off boarding for that. And, uh, I went up and, you know, made an announcement and explained what was going on. And then I had to tell them about this hydraulic leak. Um, and, but that they were pretty confident that they had figured out where it was coming from and it wasn't a problem. They'd done their troubleshooting. They were giving us the green light. We're going to go ahead and start boarding. Thank you very much. Everybody was applauding. I bowed and, uh, I'm thinking this is great. And the curtain came down and the, and, uh, so we boarded the airplane. Yeah. And the, the curtain came down. That was act one. Uh, act two was after we got the whole airplane boarded up and the agent was literally, uh, not boarded up like, you know, boarding up windows, but boarded <laughs> like all the passengers were on board. The uh, door was literally about to be shut by the gate agent. And I noticed this presence of somebody wearing one of these fluorescent vests standing next to me. I look up and go. And, uh, and smelling of aviation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hello. May I help you? He goes, yeah, Captain. Sorry. Um, I hate to do this, but uh, we're, we're, we're putting it down. And I went, excuse me? I thought I really thought he was joking. <laughs> They're going to put the airplane out of his misery. Puppy down? <laughs> well, no, I mean, not putting it down, down like shooting it. I, I need to be oh, careful about how okay. I say things. <laughs> yeah, phrasing his. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not doing well here. Anyways, he said, "I'm not going to let you fly the airplane uh, because they in, in the time between d- doing all the uh, paperwork and the passengers were boarding the aircraft. I guess uh, maintenance control went back and did uh, looked at the history." of this particular airplane and every two, three days they were having to fill up or re um, uh, what's the uh, word we top use, it up. not top, top it up, re- uh, no. replenish, replenish service, uh, the uh, left hydraulic system. Stick some more in. Yeah. You got, you got all that. <laughs> Thank you. That'll, that'll do. Okay. And uh, so that's not normal. Uh, it's Repeat not help. that uh, hydraulic systems should not be, you know, requiring service that many times in that, you know, short of period of time. And so I guess they decided, you know what, there's some, there's something, pro- there's a problem and we're losing hydraulic fluid. So we're going to go ahead and say, nope, we're not, this no fly tonight. And I went, oh, okay. Now I have to talk to our passengers again and, you know, encore, say, encore. yeah, it was the, the so encore. you to try and go back on what you've just said. And yeah. you convinced them it's a lovely well, serviceable airplane. I told them exactly earlier, what... Uh, earlier, I gave you good news. Yeah. And now I have to give yeah. you news. I said, look, I'm not That's one... That's usually what I say. I said... I don't I'm, say bad news, just I said, news. I'm not one to uh, play pranks on people, and I honestly th- thought that I was getting a 
prank played on me. But now I have to tell you that uh, they have decided that they don't want us to take the airplane. And uh, for safety's sake, we need to uh, go to a different gate and get a different airplane. And I was really surprised. Uh, you know, I, I did, a, um, I think, a good job of coordinating or, or communicating with the passengers um, a lot during this whole thing. And um, everybody seemed just fine with it. You know, they were, they were thanking me and thanking us for putting safety ahead of everything else. And, um, and even when they were getting off the airplane in New York, and this is New York, <laughs> uh, they, wow. were, they were really pleased that uh, we had taken the time to, you know, do the troubleshooting and, and made the decision to, to, to get a different airplane and pull that one off the line. I think it so. shows you that, you know, um, open communication and honest communication goes a long way. Mm -hmm. People don't like to be, nope. you know, um, left in the dark necessarily. Um, you know, if they're not getting the information, then they're imagining all the things that could potentially be going exactly. on. And that's a whole lot worse than just getting the straight story. That's been my experience in my long career of uh, airline flying that, you know, just be honest with them. They may not like what you're telling them, uh, but... At least you're telling them something. Uh, anyway, so we finally got up to pretty late, uh, right around midnight to uh, White Plains and then uh, left um, before noon the next day. So it was a short layover in White Plains. And then the next day we went through Atlanta and um, to Wichita and back. That was our victory, victory lap or our penalty lap, depending on your your perspective. And, uh, yeah, it was a little windy in Kansas. Um, you know, when I was there in the car, it was really windy and, uh, in the it's airplane. It's a twister. It's a Always. twister. Yeah. Yeah. Man, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've uh, seen the movie. It's Toto. Toto. Yeah. So it was, but luckily it was mostly down the runway, only about 20 degrees off. So it wasn't really much of a crosswind. It was m more of a gusty headwind and it was, it was bumpy. You know, you get below five 3,000, 5,000 feet. And it was, you know, it was bucking like a bucking Bronco. Had but a we, lot of that this spring. And I'll then, bet. Yeah. A lot. Yeehaw. Yeehaw, <laughs> for sure. And uh, when the people uh, got off the airplane there, they seemed to be very happy to still be alive. Yeehaw. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, uh, so. Oh, thank goodness we've made it to the ground. I'm going yes. to kiss the ground I mean, now. Yeah. <laughs> It might have been because of I, I was crying a little bit. Um, I was a little emotional uh, about the whole thing. Um, and yeah, anyway, no, I'm just kidding. So that was it. So that's what I did. I didn't really expect to talk that much about that two-day uh, trip. But anyway, got home uh, late uh, Friday night and then uh, spent the night in Roswell. And then the next day I uh, did my singing. Uh, they had a special confirmation mass that I sang at at one o'clock and then the vigil mass. And then I asked if I could have uh, Sunday off. So I drove back up here to the cabin and I enjoyed watching the, uh, the F1 race, uh, on Sunday. And, uh, let's see, I've been on vacation basically since Friday night and yeah, I've been kicking back and mostly doing nothing. Uh, just kind of chilling out a little bit and uh, I'm on vacation until my next trip, which is a three day trip leaving on Monday, May 2nd. And uh, it's nice and easy because it's just a deadhead to Des Moines. At least that's what it says on paper. So I'll be in Des Moines kind of uh, midday. And uh, then the next day we end up in Baton Rouge, the capital of uh, the, um, 
What is the what are they called in New Orleans? What state is that? The uh, the Crescent State? No. Louisiana is the, uh What is it called? No, it's not the Crawdad State. Crawdad State. The Big E's. No, that's 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 the city. Delta Airlines. Uh anyway, we're gonna be in Baton Rouge, the state capital. Excellent. Uh you know, I've just realized I can never go on vacation again. Uh oh. Why not? Well, oh, because yeah, your, your whole life's vacation. <laughs> yeah. Is it the Pelican State? Pelican State? No. No. Somebody tell. No. Is that what they're saying in the chat room? No, I don't it's, know what they're saying. It's the, the snapping room. turtle state. No. No one, no one said anything, and they're not helpful. Hello, they're uh, not even listening to what we're saying here. Official Pelican State. That's what Wikipedia says. Yeah. Okay, we're going to look it up. We're going to go to the uh, Book of Knowledge. Unofficial Bayou State Creole State Sportsman's Paradise. That's what's on their license plate. Oh, Sportsman's Paradise. No and wonder the, I don't remember what it is. It's on their license plate. It says Sportsman's Paradise. I know. I, okay. I agree with you. I just, I'm not saying it's, it's, I don't, I just don't think of the sport. But there's also a pelican on their license plate, too. Okay, we'll call yeah, it the Pelican State. Okay, wow, how can you read the number if there's a pelican? Let's go look at your legs now, Jeff. Okay. We, we're a little you more creative with our license off. plates here than you are over there. <laughs> no, I assumed you had a head on with a pelican. Sorry. Oh, well, you know, maybe. Anyway, Liz, Liz wants, I don't know why, but she wants to talk about my legs. So oh, well, yeah. that's nice that is the legs. cover art. Thank you. Yeah, what uh, a pair of pins. Last, uh, last episode, uh, Steph and I kind of kind of created the reason for the title we started for i don't recall exactly why but we were talking about uh, being pantless and uh, maskless and pantless and uh, the title ended up being pantless podcasts and nick uh, he just went to town on that one he ran with it. and uh, <laughs> apparently he found an old uh, photo that he had taken of me when he was over here uh, a couple of years ago <laughs> and i told true. you nick that these were private photographs that you were not to share uh, but he ended well, up using Well, they're not photographs it. of your private, so you're lucky. Well, I was covered up by that nice chair. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, we've, we've already seen he has this file, the confidential files. Yes, I do. Liz has, a, Liz has files and Nick has files. So yeah, we got to be yes, careful. Yes, I, I, I save it all. I save it all. Actually, that was uh, quite a – it was fun, but quite a bit of work because uh, the original – picture really was just that desk and the calendar and the the mac computer the uh, imac mm-hmm. uh, and everything else had to be added in the the legs of the desk w- had to be doubled in length had to put a carpet in there had to uh, double the size of to the <laughs> left um, can't edition. see the carpet yeah. though <laughs> no doesn't, never go. mind. I'm not even and going to course. continue down that conversation. <laughs> I had to put Jeff in. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And there are there are a few little interesting bits I thought I'd point out uh, because the pose <laughs> that are covered up. Uh, yeah. The po- <laughs> is it the, <laughs> the picture? Oh no, it's the pose exactly right is is uh, taken from uh, the picture behind Jeff's head there, which is of Christine Keeler who was a lady involved in an affair with, simultaneously, our um, Minister for War and a a Soviet... Yes, a Soviet (laughs) GRU agent. (laughs) So uh, 
It's called the Profumo Affair, and uh, the minister had to resign very famously, and that was a picture she uh, had taken afterwards. Mm. Uh, the designer of that chair became very famous after the picture because everyone wanted uh, to buy his chairs. Um, so that's that little bit of interest. <laughs> I thought the girl comes uh, with it or something? Uh. Yeah, probably. Yeah, okay. Pro the um the clock of course um mimics uh the akimbo leg position and uh, if you look very carefully in the center of the clock oh. face the logo there is a beaver um oh. the show number nice beaver. Uh, animal the yes animal. exactly oh. the show number uh is actually on the calendar just the calendar yeah i was gonna say yeah, you have all the numbers there it, in the calendar yeah because it goes uh, 15, 18, 17, 16. So 518 uh, is was the show nice number. Beaver. Uh, Jeff's coffee, thank you. Jeff's coffee mug. Someone complained that uh, your cartoon, Jeff, the hair was too dark. So I actually changed the hair on that coffee mug. So I noticed that. Your, your, I noticed You that. did notice that. Yes. Excellent. There's a little blue man vomiting on your keyboard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's probably about it when it came to the little tricks. And, I'm a little uh, disappointed you didn't uh, do the show number in the clock and make it 518. Yeah, I could have done, uh, exactly. But then you would need to put one of your legs up in the air, wouldn't you? <laughs> it wouldn't match the symmetry yeah. and aesthetic of... Exactly. <laughs> I would have been happy to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that would have been a neat trick. I'd like to see that. <laughs> no, you really don't. You really wouldn't. Okay. No, that was yes, very sweet. That's good. Five eight. I remember that next time uh, I'm looking for an idea how to get the show number in there. Okay. Uh, Neil Langworm says, two legs. A good day for Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Exactly. By the way, nice shoes. I like those Thank you. shoes. Very yeah, they're my yeah. favorite. Mm, yeah. Cool. It's a good call. And of course, uh, we, we don't call trousers pants over here. Hour and a half. The yeah, pants are what you wear under your trousers. Right. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. Well, yes, so there, this was really the commando podcast then. <laughs> yes, it was indeed. Okay. <laughs> it was. All right. Well, anyway. So glad you was, enjoyed that. I think a lot of people enjoyed that. Oh, you know, by the way, uh, we, I forgot to mention this. Uh, I just saw this a little bit before we started the show. Uh, we, and we talked about the incident and I'm sure we're going to talk about it a lot more probably in the next episode, but I wanted to be the first aviation podcast out there talking about this. Uh, well, maybe one of the first, I don't know. Uh, a leaked French report says that the crash of Egypt air 804, that one that crashed between, um, was it London or Paris to, uh, I think Paris to Cairo, uh, was likely caused by the cigarette of a smoking pilot. And apparently it, it's okay. They are allowed to smoke in the cockpit of their Airbuses. And uh, they had said just a couple of days before uh, the, um, uh, the oxygen mask had been replaced on the first officer's side and uh, they think that uh, perhaps it was leaking and the smoking, uh, whatever, led to a fire in the cockpit. And they, they know that for sure, that there was some sort of a fire in the cockpit. But uh, anyway, we'll have more on it um, on the next episode, yeah, I'm next sure. Show, yeah. yeah. 
you know, I just wanted to mention that. Oh, okay. Coffee fund, Liz is saying. So uh, let's jump over here to this and that. Jeff Smith. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. The Coffee Fund. It's your way, dear listener, to engage in support of the show financially if you have the resources to do that. And uh, we have a couple of different ways for you to participate in the Coffee Bar Club and the Coffee Fund Cadre. Uh, the first being the original, the OG, the Coffee Fund Classic Method. And since the last episode, Vigner, uh, we believe he is uh, in Iceland. And Vigner, uh, thank you very much for your continued support of the show. You, uh, it's a recur- recurrent or recurring donation. Um, the other way to participate in the Coffee Bar Club is to become a patron of the show via patreon.com. And uh, since the last episode, no new patrons. So there's plenty of room for you if you want to support the show by pledging a certain amount per episode. And uh, you can specify like a maximum amount for the month. But um, we generally do four to five shows per month. So just uh, keep that in mind. Check it out by heading over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. We will too. Just waiting for that shimmer to go away. There we go. Um, so, you know what? Before we go to feedback, I would like to uh, talk about uh, an APG meetup. And uh, so that's the next item there below the coffee fund. And uh, David Lieb just, I don't know, maybe two hours ago, sent this in to the uh, feedback email address. And uh, it was audio feedback. So let's uh, hear from David Lieb. Hello, APG crew and community. This is David Lieb leaving some feedback once again from the greater Boston, Massachusetts area. Just a couple notes on events of the past two weeks. First, Captain Jeff, thanks so much for making the meetup in White Plains happen. It was a real pleasure to see you again and meet Radio Roger, Felicity, Donna, and Ryan. Truly a great time. It's true. It's true. So that was fantastic that the stars aligned and I was able to meet up with you guys there. I I was in the area that week. Next week, however, I was watching the Boston Marathon uh, in Framingham, Massachusetts, which is about 20 miles west of Boston. And yes, Dr. Steph, I was the one at mile six. Unfortunately, I think I may have gotten there a little bit later than I had hoped. I'm sure I missed you by just minutes, if not seconds. Uh, Wave three was rolling by as I got there, but I wasn't quite up to the front line uh, on the course 
until I had been there for a few minutes, I met up with a couple friends and I created a little space and I was looking, but alas, I think you had passed me already, especially considering the time you said you ran. So congratulations on that. And I'm sorry I missed you. Uh, would have liked to just give a wave or a high five or say hi or something. Um, but uh, hopefully another time. I will be at one of these points, should be back in the Charlotte area. I am a very frequent visitor to the Charlotte area. So um, anyway, Captain Jeff, I think I saw that you may even have some uh, uh, layover time there next month. So we'll see what happens. Anyway, I'm off to play with my country band at a food truck festival this evening. And yes, there will be a taco truck. And that's, of course, Taco the Food, not Taco the Dog. I hope Taco the Dog is doing well, of course. All right, y'all. Lots of IPAs, smooth rides, tailwinds, blue skies, all that jazz. Peace out. See you later. Peace out. Thanks, David. I ah, literally, awesome. literally just got that um, uh, right before the show, and Liz said, "Well, I didn't know you were going to play that in this show. I, I already had it in feedback for the next." And I went, "Nah." I figured, you know, it's it's hot off it's Time hot me. off the press, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, well, sorry I missed you, David. Um, I'll just jump into that real quick. I knew there was someone who was going to be eight mile six, and I couldn't remember who it was that had said that. And honestly, at that point, I was kind of just like caught up in the zone of what I was doing, so I. All that Didn't you. even remember it until, yeah, it was definitely me. Definitely going through Framingham. Um, but, yeah, uh, thanks for being out there, though. We, you know, it, it doesn't matter whether you saw me or not. It's a huge boost for every runner out there to have um, robust crowds cheering them on. So thanks for coming out and enjoying the day. And it was, I mean, perfect weather for it. So hopefully you had a nice, nice time. Very good. And uh, he is correct. I will be or at least I'm scheduled to be in Charlotte on the May 19th, 19th of May. Yes. 19th of May. I, I don't get in until four thirty in the oh, afternoon. And yeah. Party for sure. Uh, somewhere near South Lake <laughs> South uh, park or South park, even mm. uh, probably better directions. If you put in South park, not South Lake um, at the we have North Lake, but no South. Lake. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, that probably has nothing to do with why I was confused. Uh, anyway, and it's a it's an early go the next day, uh, but you know you know maybe we can have some sort of a quick get together uh, early evening on uh, on that day. Mm-hmm. And I think, there's some oh, good options right there at the at the mall. Area, yeah, so. for sure. Yeah, lots of good stuff. Go to the mall oh, right around there. Right. Go to the mall, y'all. Um, but uh, yeah, a couple of places that Steph and I have been, and uh, they're all. Really, really nice. So uh, we'll uh, be talking about that as time goes on. Okay. So now would be a good time for us to transition to feedback. Captain, incoming message. I have a feeling that uh, Captain Nick is getting a little uh, bored or something. He's a... Uh, 
falling over. Um, He's falling I was asleep. looking at my notes for the feedback number 11. So. Oh, okay. I thought it just Don't looked like you were, you were just like, passing oh. out or something. <laughs> I promise I'm reading my notes for... Yeah, exactly right. No, no, no. I was paying attention to my the written hand of 40 years ago. Right. All right. Well, um, in, in keeping in mind that it's uh, getting a little bit late for you, and we want to make sure that we get this in because you've done uh, some study on this feedback, let's jump to uh, number 11. We'll start off with uh, some feedback from Peter. And here we go. Take it away, Peter. Hello, APG crew. I'm Peter from New York, and I have a potentially really dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I know that Airplanes generally fly at, you know, 30,000 feet, 35,000 feet, etc. My question is, why bother going up that high if it burns so much fuel to get up to altitude? Why not just fly around at like 10,000 feet? I mean, assuming there's no terrain in your way, wouldn't it be much more interesting, certainly for the passengers, to fly at a lower altitude? I'll leave it at that, and you can answer if you don't think it's too dumb. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Well, they say, Peter, that there is no such thing as a dumb question. And the people, that, people that say that, though, they're wrong. No, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Dumb. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. No, it's a good it's a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, as I kind of hinted, I think that uh, Captain Nick might have an answer, at least to your first question. Um, yeah, I... I, I yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I took a uh, look in my old uh, Air Force uh, um, notes that I used to take uh, and had a look at range flying. Now, the uh, your question about – I haven't started yet. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that was a little premature. <laughs> For a little premature. Yeah. Sorry. Give me, give me a break. Um, the, the, <laughs> uh, your first question is about you know, all the fuel you use climbing. Yes, there there is a, a point where – uh, it becomes um, counterproductive to cl- waste, or not waste fuel, use fuel climbing. Uh, but eventually, what, when you do get to altitude, the fuel you save usually makes up for the fuel you've used climbing plus. So if, for example, if you're on a long flight, yeah, you, <laughs> you're always going to climb to altitude. Uh, if you're on a short flight, you might decide not to. Uh, that Air France flight we were just talking about that nearly flew into the mountain. They had a 40-minute flight. They only climbed 10,000 feet. That seems a little low to me. But anyway, uh, you usually have that in your aircraft manual. But let's assuming uh, we're going to be flying for range, so going for distance. And uh, from my notes, it says here, the economy of fuel, range flying is most important. It's the ability of an aircraft to fly the maximum distance on a given amount of fuel. The distance an aircraft can fly on a given amount of fuel uh, if all other conditions, including weight, remain the same, is known as the specific air range, SAR, i.e. nautical miles per pound of fuel. And specific aircraft uh, range, uh, aircraft range yeah, is um, distance over fuel, uh, which is the same as distance divided by time over fuel divided by time, which is the same as true airspeed over fuel consumption. Now, in a jet aircraft... Uh, we can break that down to uh, true airspeed over thrust times specific uh, fuel consumption. And if we split that equation up, we get with true airspeed over drag times SFC, which is the same as uh, 
EAS equivalent airspeed over drag times TAS over EAS times one over specific fuel consumption. So um, if we look at level flight, specific air range is EAS times uh, over drag times TAS over EAS times one over SFC. This means that specific uh, air range, the speed for the best EAS drag ratio, so that means flying at the best uh, drag ratio speed uh, for the progress you want to make. Uh, bearing in mind, if you've got a strong tailwind, you'll um, want to fly at a slightly slower speed because that tailwind will carry to you to your destination. If uh, you've got a strong headwind, you want to fly at a slightly faster speed so you're in that headwind for a shorter time. Uh, the maximum altitude and the minimum specific fuel consumption. Now, I could go on. In fact, I probably will. Um, flying at high altitude. Now, although due to compressibility, the EAS over drag ratio may worsen, as you climb, your true airspeed becomes greater all the time. So your true airspeed over your equivalent airspeed ratio is always improving. Uh, so um, for some altitudes, the band is quite large. Uh, you can afford to uh, level off or change your speed. Uh, on some aircraft, it's quite specific. Now, if your specific uh, fuel consumption is taken into account, um, the range speed falls into the band of 1 to 1.2 uh, VIMD. The exact value is dependent on the design found during flight test when this speed occurs at a Mach number which is just above mcrit, the, the, the speed, the max speed at which you get critical drag rise, which is obviously going to ruin your fuel consumption, then the aircraft is at its optimum range, sorry, altitude for range. There you go. I hope that made sense. Jeff, we can't even hear Jeff. That's how, <laughs> that's how gobsmacked he is with that. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry. Jeff. I said fascinating. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you all miss Miami Rick? Huh? There nah. you go. Nah, take that, Miami Rick. Basically, uh, the air's thinner up there. Uh, the engine likes thin air because it can get it in, a big mass flow. Uh, the air's not as dense, but because the temperature's <laughs> dropped, that compensates. That's mm -hmm. what she said. So some compensation and getting it in. Got That's it. That's what she <laughs> said. Yes. Yeah. Um, there you go. So um, I, uh, I have a I have a dumb answer okay. to Peter's Come very on, good question. Wouldn't it be more interesting for the passengers to say lower? No. Well, they all have their window shades closed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How, how can you How can you watch a movie with your window yeah. shade open? If it were okay, a, if it were a bunch of passengers like us aviation enthusiasts. Then yes, but uh, yeah, most people are not interested in what's happening around them and the miracle that they're experiencing when they fly from one place to another these days. But ah, we we sigh a big sigh. Um, uh, Al Shea makes a good point. Uh, yeah, jet streams that we often uh, use to help improve our um, true airspeed. It gives us very high ground speed. Uh, doesn't improve your true airspeed. That remains the so same. You can fly faster than the speed, speed of sound. Exactly, Wait. but you, you're no. not really. No. Um, I found at high altitudes, so um, generally found, uh, you know, in the low 30s. So that's another good reason for being up there. And interesting, we can see that in our flight management systems when we are flying uh, here in the uh, northern hemisphere. 
from, let's say, Atlanta to Wichita uh, and the time of year where the winds are quite strong from west to east, uh, you'll notice that the cost index Actually, it has nothing to do with the cost index or may have something to do. But but basically, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Quit laughing at me, Liz. My, Miami Rick can tell uh, us about the cost no, index. So. Yeah, he, he already has. And, and yes. Hopefully we, and that uh-oh. stuck. It clearly uh-oh. sunk in. Warning. Warning. I Professor hope that Robinson. I haven't uh, kind of stirred the pot on that one. But what I'm trying to say is that with the winds in your face, as you mentioned, Captain Nick, is the uh, fact that uh, the airplane is going to fly faster and take longer to get up to altitude because uh, as the as you get higher in altitude usually the winds pick up in 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 force and so you want to spend as much time as you can in that climb in the low you know lower altitudes going faster and then uh, the opposite is true when you're going back from Wichita to Atlanta with those high winds on your tail you want to get right on up there as fast as you right on up there in that tail um uh wind uh <laughs> to uh get that nice push as early as you can and, and an interesting thing on the fms on the aircraft that I, I think probably all fms systems have this where you when you're selecting your cruise altitude or going up to your cruise altitude and you hit the button that shows this data uh it it will say what your what your optimum flight level is and what your maximum flight level is and you would think that they would be the same but it's not always true sometimes on the shorter flights, and this is something they probably don't see in the long long haul stuff, but the short flights, sometimes you'll see that the airplane can get all the way up to 37,000 feet. However, uh, because it's such a short flight segment, and I think IHAL Boxes mentioned this earlier about a ballistic flight path, is that uh, it may say that you know 23,000 feet is your optimum altitude because that's the point at which you'd kind of be um, approximating a, a ballistic flight path. Uh, but anyway, well, you know, even us lowly um, GA pilots look at that stuff too most of the time because we yeah. don't want to spend too long going from point A to point B if we don't have to. So, and there's some, I mean, it's all the same principles and concepts. So um, that data is, is readily available to most pilots through something like ForeFlight, and you can look up and see what the forecast altitude or forecast winds are at different altitudes, and use that to select um, what's going to work the best. There we go. Of course, the the box that is giving you all this information has to have good information that you put into it to begin yeah. with. So yeah, I usually you, I usually take a look too. You know, if I get to the altitude that I've selected and I'm like, well, that doesn't seem right, or it's it's not what was forecast, I'll pick something different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Flying is a dynamic thing. What are you laughing about, Liz? This comment by Captain Nick for cows and flying. Listen to this week's tale. Okay. Okay. He's, he's teasing the tail. He is teasing the tail. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, and cow. we're going to be. A cow. We're, and Thank it, but, you so much, Nick, for that. Never mind. Move but he, on. but he, capital, that's like an, is that an acronym or is that the actual livestock? You'll have to listen to the tail. To I guess out. we'll, I guess I'll have to. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you to Nick for doing all that research. Yeah, stuff. thank you, Nick, for doing all the research and um, looking at your notes. From 1935. I, I can't make head a tail of them now. It's you know I used to know this stuff like the back of my hand. Mm-hmm. I haven't really thought about it for so many years. It's actually quite hard. Mm, that's what she said. <laughs> All right, let's uh, move on with uh, this piece of feedback from Texas and Lashock. Greetings, Captain Jeff and APG crew. With the first of April, a lot of people are in, are indulging in the traditional April fun. And then he said, we got it in before the end of April. The end of April. 
in this case, YouTube channel, The Operations Room, has done a video on an incident in 1986 where the USS Enterprise Air Group engaged the shadowy MiG-28 in the Indian Ocean in an, an engagement that nearly ended in disaster, if not for the skill and daring of one Lieutenant Pete Maverick Mitchell. I also discovered a video of what Top Gun would have been like if it were a British film, uh, and instead of F-14s, they fly Harriers. Since they have a limited flight budget, they do in-classroom study, indoor volleyball, and tennis out in the rain. And everyone speaks with those bloody British accents. And while we're all sitting around awaiting uh, Top Gun Maverick, I wondered if uh, they have any plans for a third one, perhaps centered on Red Flag. It seems like it checks all the boxes Hollywood likes for its sequels, greater scale and scope, more characters, and an international aspect. And of course, you've forgotten losing incredible amounts of money at the box office. Anyway, I uh, hope you all had fun on April 1st. Did you fall victim to any foolishness? Who remembers now? Yeah, I don't know. That was a long time ago. Uh, uh, can't remember yeah. what happened That was like on three April weeks 1st. ago. No I idea. Mm. <laughs> yeah, if it's more than a couple of days so. ago. Yeah. I, I, then we didn't even talk about April Fool's yeah. Day much, did we? You know, a, a lot of them are done by newspapers and, and news outlets. That sort of thing is pretty common. In fact... This country, uh, because of the um, emphasis being placed on the um, conflict in uh, yeah, Ukraine, uh, a lot of outlets decided it would be a bit tasteless. So mm. uh, they, mm -hmm. right. they didn't this year. Uh, let's see. I'm just going to play a little snippet of the uh, the funny film. I, we, I was going to play also a little bit of the serious a film done uh, regarding the uh, danger zone in the Indian Ocean and the the real life um, uh, history uh, that occurred uh, and basis for the movie Top Gun. But uh, let's just take a little uh, peek at the British version of, or if the British had done. Uh, Top Do you Gun. have to? Yes, I have to. Ooh, I sir, must. Sir, the bespoke post boxes have arrived. Shut up, Atkins! We're trying to work out how to break out of this camp in a great fashion. Now, who has broken out the most? No, no, sir. Bespoke Post. They're a monthly membership club delivering splendid boxes of top-shelf <laughs> goods, many of which are from US-based small businesses, and it's free to join. Well, we're not free to join it, unless that bag is full of useful tools. Well, I should say, sir, I chose the split box, which contains this 17-inch field hatchet. Brilliant! We can use it to break the beds apart. Useful for holding the tunnels up. And then this uh, cast iron skillet, part of the uh, over easy box, sir. Should, ah, should I fast forward skillet. this to some flying, maybe? Uh, let's see, here we go. Here are the Harriers. I lost him in the sun. What's he doing? I'm going for missile lock. See if I can scare this guy out of here. I've got a lock. This is real footage from the RAF. Bingo! He's buggering out and going home. <laughs> He's not allowed to say that me. word. I'm very sweaty. <laughs> Man, that big is in a perfect firing position on Cougar. Really? Seems to be close to me. Don't worry though, he's just trying to frighten Cougar. It won't work though, he's our squadron's top pilot. Our commander frequently says so. <laughs> he's got a missile lock. Do I have permission to fire? Don't worry Cougar, I'm coming to scare this guy off. No, oh, you're going to sing at him. Okay. <laughs> That's enough. Great. 
<laughs> he is the best <laughs> pilot in the squadron. Or at least the squadron commander <laughs> says it often. <laughs> uh, anyway, so there you have it. There are actually two parts. Uh, we'll have that in the show notes if you want to check out the uh, uh, the, the British version of Top Gun. Um, don't, don't, don't. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think Captain Nick is saying don't. Don't waste your time on it. <laughs> well, I, I found it a little cringeworthy, but I'm sure people uh, would like to uh, make fun of the British, so that's no problem. Who d- actually did that? Uh, was it was it a, a bunch of Americans? No. No, they they actually sound like Brits. So. Okay. I couldn't tell if it was a real British accent or you, Americans trying to pretend they, to... Uh, they, they all wear the same uniform, so... <laughs> <laughs> they've only no got one jacket. Yes, they've only got one jacket. Was, they, they didn't have a big budget. <laughs> no, they did not. All right. Um, you know what we're going to do? We're getting really close to that time of the show where we like to play the latest installment of the Old Pilot's Plane Tales. He's keeping me busy and, tonight. And uh, yeah, Liz is saying, Woo, he's keeping me busy tonight. And she doesn't mean romance. She means no. all the overlays that go with uh, this week's uh, installment of the Old Pilot's Plane Tales, entitled, hang on. Let me get to my start again. Okay, yeah, she's getting ready, and so am I. I'm trying to find it. Here we go. You ready, Liz? Uh, no, no, I'm not. No, okay. Ready. Just a minute. Just a second. Gotcha. Okay, I'm good. There. Good luck, Liz. I'm good. Okay. All, right, she, uh, all right, here we go. Uh, this week's installment, entitled, The Ugly Ducklings. The Old Pilot's Plain Tales The Ugly Ducklings A listener warning comes with this episode in that those with heart conditions and keeping to a low-sodium diet should listen with caution as this tale needs to be taken with a large pinch of salt. The saying is an English idiom that suggests something may be misleading or unverified and should be viewed with scepticism. It is suspected to originate with the ancient Romans, specifically Pliny the Elder's Naturalis Historia, regarding the efficacy of a recipe for a poison antidote. Whilst we're discussing quaint idioms, many of us trust that old American adage, if it looks good, it'll fly good, attributed to both Neil Armstrong and Bill Lear and is something that all pilots understand. There is something about a fine-looking aircraft that makes it appear trustworthy and gives one confidence that it will perform well. Sadly, I know of one company who seem to have looked at their aircraft through bottle-bottom glasses, or perhaps they just never got the memo. Whether the Short brothers were actually vertically challenged or not isn't made clear, but I can tell you that they started their aviation careers in the balloon business, where flyers of Lilliputian proportions might be an advantage, developing and manufacturing said lighter-than-air craft in Hove, Sussex, which I find rather amusing. The nautical term Hove 2 means to hold in a stationary position with head to the wind, 
Since that feat is physically impossible for a balloon in free flight, perhaps they would have been better finding a place called Crash Land or similar. I, I digress. They built balloons for the British Army in India and for Charles Rolls of Rolls-Royce to compete in the 1906 Gordon Bennett Balloon Race. So far, only Eustace and Oswald were involved, but when they branched out into aircraft manufacture, they persuaded Horace to join them and were soon taking orders for gliders. By 1909, they had moved to the Isle of Sheppey, where they began building licensed copies of the Wright Flyer. It was here that they began to build machines in both large numbers and doubtful elegance, including a tailless twin-engine design, the Dunn D5, spelt with an E on the end, so for my Aussie mates, let's call it a Dunny. It would be wrong of me to claim that ugly aircraft came solely from the workshops of shorts. At that time, hardly any of the boxy, string-and-canvas flying machines could be described as beautiful. During the First World War, Shorts set to and created the Admiralty Type 184 for the Navy, which became the first aircraft to sink a ship with a torpedo. The gangly biplane had a span considerably longer than the fuselage, requiring a large vertical stabiliser to make up for the short moment arm, but the Royal Naval Air Service seemed happy enough to order 936 of them. The brothers' success required them to expand their business, so they bought a plot of land on the River Medway, not far from Borstal, a name famous for the prison and youth offenders' institution which still stands there. Another site they obtained became home for a pair of enormous hangars when shorts were engaged to build very long things, airships. Their work at Cardington proved successful and they even built a local town for their workers, Shortstown, where presumably everyone wore short breeches. After building such monster dirigibles such as the R31, an R32, the Enterprise was nationalised in 1919, just in time for the R101 airship disaster, ensuring that the Royal Airship Works, as it was then known, bore all the fallout. I have discovered that Shorts Cardington had a works magazine, appropriately named the Gas Bag, for all the airship and balloon enthusiasts out there. We leave World War I with the short S-38, probably for the best, and move rapidly on to the Second World War and the magnificent short Sunderland. Its predecessors, the Singapore and Calcutta, were similar to the PBY Catalina in looks, an aircraft I admire enormously, but I can't say I hold the shorts version in the same high esteem. The enclosed cockpit looks like an upturned dumpster. It has a plethora of fins, certainly more than you would need to herd a herd of reindeer, 
and it sports open gun positions, presumably because all the poor gunners were taken from the other ranks and not the officer corps. The four Rolls-Royce Kestrel engines, mounted in long pods and fixed onto the wing struts, two pushing and two pulling, look strangely like an afterthought, as if the engine designer was late to the meeting and didn't get his point across. There were variations on a theme with the larger Kent flying boat, which, being a civil aircraft, did without the gunner's freezing hole in the roof, and added a couple of extra engine pods, but no more engines, holding Bristol Jupiter 9-cylinder radials. Then came the even bigger Short Empire flying boats, which had been ordered by Imperial Airways. This was a big machine, about the size of a sperm whale, although it looked more like a blue whale. The whale's wings, however, were considerably smaller, and with its additional weight it was rarely seen in the air, but both had blowholes, although in the Empire flying boat they were usually called the captain. Shorts flogged them to Qantas, and a few went to the New Zealand-Tasmanian Empire Airways Limited, as well as Imperial, which was on its way to becoming the British Overseas Aircraft Corporation. As the Empire was being built, so was the Sunderland flying boat. I can't be too rude about the Sunderland, or my dear departed father will come back to haunt me, but here are a few interesting facts. It was originally intended for it to have a cow mounted in the bow. Having a cow in the bow may seem a little strange. Perhaps you think it was intended to moo during low visibility approaches or provide fresh milk for the captain's tea but in fact it was a Coventry Ordnance Works 37mm cannon. In fact, the single cow cannon was not part of the final design. It ended up with 16.303 Browning machine guns, four fixed in the nose for the captain to play with, two in the nose turret, four in the rear turret, two in the dorsal turret, plus various beam and a rear ventral flexible gun positions as well. If you didn't want the 303s, a pair of half-inch cannons could replace a couple of waist-mounted guns. In addition, it could carry nearly 5,000 pounds, 2,250 kilograms, of bombs, mines and depth charges that were run out on rails from the fuselage to hang below the wings. The Sunderland was broadly similar to the whale-like Imperial and supposed to be more aerodynamic, but in reality there was little to choose between them. However, the Sunderland had a much improved maximum all-up weight, six extra tonnes, and in addition it sported a twin kerosene pressure stove in the galley, a machine shop for in-flight repairs, six bunks, and a porcelain flush toilet. Like whales, it suffered from barnacles on its bottom, which sometimes got so bad it could prevent a fully loaded aircraft from getting airborne. The easy cure was to take the aircraft to a freshwater mooring for long enough to kill off the fauna and flora growing beneath its large waistband. 
The Sunderland was our most successful maritime patrol aircraft and 749 were built and operated by many countries' air forces. I could say a lot more, but I have several less beautiful short endeavours to mention. Shortly before the start of World War II, Shorts moved to Belfast and teamed up with a shipbuilding company to form Short and Harland. Whether it was the new partner's influence or not, they were soon building bombers for the RAF, one of which was the Bombay. Perhaps the least said about that, the better. But then along came the Short Sterling. It was a four-engine heavy bomber built to meet a strange set of ministry requirements like able to lift off in 500 feet and clear a 50-foot tree, a maximum wingspan of 100 feet so it could fit inside a standard RAF hangar and carry over six tons of bombs 2,000 miles. The original design didn't meet many of those requirements, although its span was 99 feet and 1 inch. Its takeoff roll was so long, it received considerable criticism from those who flew it. It was too late to change the wing's angle of incidence, so it was decided to extend the length of the main undercarriage, giving it a most ungainly appearance and resulting in its spindly gear contributing to many takeoff and landing accidents. It did, however, do sterling work, carrying up to 14,000 pounds of bombs, nearly six and a half tonnes, for 2,300 miles, more than three times the usual load of the Flying Fortress. During the war, it delivered 27,000 tonnes of bombs on 14,500 sorties. 582 out of the 2,371 built were lost in action. Post-war designs by Shorts continued to disregard any desire to bow to aesthetics in their designs even when entering the jet age with the short Sperrin Gyron medium bomber. It also continued a myth that the Navy preferred blunt aircraft when it built the short Seamew. The handling characteristics of the Seamew were awful, and although some improvements were made, Arthur Piercy wrote, Only the Short Brothers test pilot, Wally Runciman, seemed able to outwit its vicious tendencies and explore its latent manoeuvrability to the limit. Then, in the 1950s, came Short's long-awaited masterpiece. If you were going to build a new commercial aircraft, the shape of which was based on a caravan, a travel trailer in other languages, I can think of a few that might serve, like the Airstream. Indeed, the Airstream was based on a design by the man who designed and oversaw the construction of the Spirit of St. Louis, instead of which along came the short SC-7 Skyvan. Apparently, it was a development of the Hurl Dubois Miles 106 Caravan. Why two companies would want to pursue this awful idea escapes me, but Shorts decided to build their own version and somehow managed to make a boxy aircraft even boxier. The Skyvan 
was a twin-engined, all-metal, high-wing, high-aspect-ratio braced monoplane. Its box-shaped, unpressurized, square-section fuselage sported a pair of rectangular fins, which made it easier to work out which way it flew, since the rear was pointier than the front. It started off with a pair of Continental piston engines, but moved on to a pair of Turbo Mecha Astazoo turboprop helicopter engines, more in keeping with its speed range. However, the Astazoo was temperature limited at altitude, but who wanted to take this unpressurized cube over 10,000 feet? It's not clear, but some brave person established a service ceiling of 22,500 feet. Its maximum speed was 175 knots, but it was much happier cruising along at 150. With a range of only 602 nautical miles, it needed frequent fuel stops, but could land almost anywhere with a 2,000-foot strip. Rarely has an aircraft received so many derogatory nicknames as this winged box car, but the flying shoebox seems popular, as does the two-tailed shed, the horse float, the milk carton, Winnebago, box car, short van, box, shoebox, barn, shed, long short, the box that the sky van came in, and my favourite, the Irish Concord. The sales team either shrugged off such derogatory insults or perhaps embraced them because 149 of this flying piece of garden storage were sold and operated in various government services in 22 countries. A number of them were also used by civil operators, most commonly to jump out of, which is quite understandable. Most people were probably very keen to get out. Two skyvans were used in the Argentinian conflict over the Falkland Islands, one being destroyed at Stanley Racecourse by naval gunfire and the other got bogged down on Pebble Island and was put out of its misery by a British raiding party. Argentina also put these simple aircraft to an appalling use in 1977 during a dark period in the country's history known as the Dirty War. The military junta used their skyvans for the infamous death flights, where thousands of victims were murdered by being thrown out of the aircraft into the river plate. On a happier note, Shorts didn't stop with just the skyvan. They produced nine different versions, which even included a deluxe all-passenger version called the Serial Box. Uh, I'm sorry, I mean the Skyliner. The Skyvan was developed into the Shorts 330 and 360, which even looked a bit pointy at the front. From the 360 came the Shorts C23 Sherpa. There is even a Super Sherpa, and this quirky little aircraft, boxier than a Volvo, even found its way into the inventory of the US military, serving with the Air Force, Army and National Guard. 
The company that the Short Brothers formed has been a very successful enterprise that went from balloons to missiles, armoured vehicles and even an experimental variable geometry single-seat fighter, albeit with plywood wings. The pinnacle of their success, however, is summed up for me by the amazing Pink Sky Van. There is a statue to remind us of the Short Brothers' achievements at the site of their Muswell Manor factory on the Isle of Sheppey, which, interestingly, reminds me of a certain genre of movie wherein the population is resurrected to wander the earth in an apocalypse of zombies. Or perhaps that's just me. Well, they say that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I think you need to be a beholder with your eyes shut. <laughs> so I'm, kinda, I'm getting the feeling that Schwartz Brothers um, didn't design really sexy airplanes out there uh, <laughs> at any they point. They were concerned about how the aircraft, uh, I don't know, looked. Uh, very true. I mean, looking at their uh, statue, if that's anything like their real selves, then I perhaps can understand. I mean... <laughs> That is wow. actually a real statue uh, to commemorate the three brothers. Well, the guy in the back doesn't look so bad. No, he he doesn't. He's no. the good-looking one. They're trying to hide him. He... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you, stay back. Stay back. Yeah. Yes. We we don't do yeah. pretty things around here. You're too pretty. <laughs> I mean, uh, I I did give that caveat at the beginning, but to be uh, most of that was actually completely true. So, uh, and I, from a sky jumper's point of view, I thought that pink. Uh, oh, the pink one's great. Yeah, I've, was, I've, was uh, great. Yeah, I don't know if it's still flying, but um, uh, there, there are some pretty neat tricks being done there. Yeah, is that Austria? What is that registration? I, I have to say, Nick, though, uh, almost um, a couple of times per minute, I was thinking I should be playing the rim shot. Uh, sound effect because <laughs> uh, it was full of little smart little quips, and I do and also enjoyed the uh, the one where the uh, somebody in uh, a passenger in one of those earlier version of the flying box car uh, were saying help. <laughs> How you spotted that? Yes, yeah, that was great. Uh, well, she had her face in the window. I was just trying to imagine what she was thinking. <laughs> Um, Let me out. I did just send you guys a picture of, I got to sit right seat in a sky van once when we had one at our uh, drop zone. And actually behind me, it's my dad about to do a tandem uh, help. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Is that the one you sent to us there? I no. just sent you, yeah. You probably can't get that pulled up fast enough. But... Um, well. Yeah. I think Skydivers I can. I was getting excited about it because jumping out of the, the back of the airplane through the, the tail is fun. You can send all yeah, I can imagine actually it would be very and, popular because yeah. you get that presumably that the back end just drops open or lifts up, and you can just step off into the void. It must be fun. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Gainers, large groups all at once. You know, yep. Inflatable yep. rafts with people sitting in it. Yep. <laughs> fun stuff. <laughs> get down in a rubber ring. That would be great, wouldn't it? Uh -huh. Oh yeah. Uh, all right. Brilliant. I think I am just about. 
there with that photo that you sent. Sorry, it took uh, me almost all of the plain tales to find that. I could not remember when that actually happened. There we happened. go. And <laughs> then we just have to hit the share. There we go. Hey. Hey. There hey. it is. Skyman. Yep. Very nice. Very boxy. That is, is it? Yeah, you can. You see, <laughs> it's just like a Volvo, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, basically. It's the, <laughs> no. it's the Sky Volvo. Yeah. 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 By the way, uh, that plain tale was dedicated to Ivor. Hugs and kisses. Oh, because of, uh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. He has an enormous love for the Sky Van, so. Does he? Yes. You know, it has a yeah. little bit of a cult uh, following enjoyment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I believe it's an illness worse than the syndrome. <laughs> mm. That's pretty bad. Yeah, that is bad, yeah. Ivor's got it bad as well. Poor chap. Oh. Mm. Well. Yep. We'll have to we'll have to get the um, go around to Cillin folks to work on um, some sort of they still working on it cure. Well, <laughs> they, they've perfected go around to Cillin. We oh. need we need a new medication. We'll have to get some R and D going on uh, the Skyvan affliction. Oh, I see. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. All right. Very good. Very good. All right. I think we thanks for that was a that was a nice uplifting fun one. Uh, thanks, Nick. It was. I I enjoyed the fun ones. It's a matter of finding a decent subject shorts provided it in you know um, in excess so marvelous thank you shorts <laughs> uh, by the way they were taken over by bombardia which um uh, means that they now have a sense of humor obviously yes they have to have all right uh let's you know what i'm gonna have to do on this one i think i have to share the uh window Okay, let's uh, continue with the uh, feedback. Oh, uh, this is. I've got to go, Jeff. Oh, okay. Well then, yeah, it's, it's, can't it's you hold well it? bewitching. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, um, I can hold it for this one if you want. If no, 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 quickly. no. I'm just kidding. Um, go ahead, go. I was, I was pretending like you meant you had to go to the bathroom. I no, 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 no. It's, it's <laughs> uh, bedtime. I'm, I'm up in uh, six and a bit hours. Oh, okay. Well, oh, get, yeah. uh, Liz is waving. What are you waving yeah, for, Liz? Well, so uh, the, oh, uh, bye. Yeah. She's okay. waving, and she's probably wondering why uh, clean feet is not working anymore. And I'll. I'll oh, okay. address that here in a second. Uh, but yes, right. thank you, Nick, for uh, for joining and staying as long as you could and get right, some sleep. No problem. All right. Thanks very much. Good Have a great show. Nick. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, let me get back here and restart StreamYard, Liz. For some reason, the laptop with this stuff on it um, lost uh, the Wi-Fi. And, uh, but it looks like it's back now. Do you see me there in clean feed? Testing, testing. Eh, I don't hear you. Maybe I have to. Uh, are you trying to uh, talk to me in clean feed? Yep. Okay. Uh, let me refresh. Okay. In clean feed. Eh, okay. Now I can hear you. Okay. All right, good. We're back now. Yeah. Okay. So I was trying to I was trying to tell you that Nick needs to go to bed, and then he said it himself. Ah, so. uh, okay. Thank you. I did not I did not see that communication, nor did I hear it from you because of the fact that Clean Feed had crashed. Actually, the as I said, the Wi-Fi had uh, crashed for some reason on that. So you've got about thirty five minutes till the end of the show. Just okay. FYI. About thirty five minutes until the end of the show, or less, if we decide. 
Okay. Well, whatever you'd like. We've got a fair, num- fair amount of feedback left here. Um, which yeah. one are we doing? Four? We're doing number four, and I'm trying to share that here. Add a stream. Okay, here we go. Uh, this is um, from Mazuts. Oh, I, you know, I wish I could scroll that image in the screen share, but I can't. i got to go over here and actually go to that window and move it around, manipulate it. Stand by while, while I manipulate this window. Okay, Mazoots sent us this. Mad Dog with its wings clipped. And it's a clip from or a link to gizmodo.com. A quick link for Captain Jeff, a combination of an RV and a mad dog. Perfect. I agree. So uh, someone turned a McDonnell Douglas MD-88 fuselage into a ridiculous camper. and Ridiculous. Why rid- would they say that? Ridiculous. One of the weirdest things you can do to any sort of vehicle is to bolt the fuselage of a plane to it. <laughs> Want a cooler boat? There's a fuselage for that. Want a more striking race car? Mount a plane to it. If you want to turn heads at a campground, a seller on eBay has an oddball idea. For the price of $62,500, would you like to sleep in the first 12.19 meters of a McDonnell Douglas MD-88? Doesn't seem like a terrible price. No, it doesn't. Of course, I'm not sure what you tow it with, but... yeah. I don't either. And uh, let me just say that I am not in the market for something like this. A lot cheaper than the uh, RV that I do have an order, though. Um, but I have slept several times in the front part of the <laughs> MD-88. <laughs> uh, not looking to repeat that. Not, not, uh, not the most comfy? <laughs> no, it was in an upright position. Uh, this one was sent uh, to me by our managing editor, Lalita Camello. And have to say that she knows exactly the kinds of RVs that I like. This is the writer of the article, and his name is Mercedes Streeter, or her name, one of the two. Um, Let's see, I use that term lovingly here because I would so sleep in this thing on a camping trip. Let's just break down what you're looking at because there's a lot going on. (laughs) I love this this photo right here. It shows the door. It looks like they just got that at Home Depot. Yeah, they um, might have. Uh, yeah, I mean, why not? Did, or Lowe's. Yeah. Uh, introduced mm-hmm. in the fall of 1980, the McDonnell Douglas MD-80 was a narrow-body rear-engine airliner. If you've flown on regional flights on Delta Airlines or American Airlines in recent years, you could have taken a seat aboard one of these beasts. And uh, now I've never seen one that looked like region. that. Well, they've, they've kind of mixed and matched the uh, first-class yeah, seats and the... Yeah, and they turned around, uh, made mm-hmm. it kind of club seating. Is that what they call that? Mm-hmm. Lounge seating. Or lounge seating. seating. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the MD-80 program launched in 77 as the DC-9 Series 80. Boeing notes that they were also called the DC-9 Super 80. Yeah, that's what American called American. it. American. Yeah. As the name uh, names imply, the plane was a development of, a, of the DC-9. They are correct. I've mentioned many times before, uh, I've never flown a DC-9, but my um, certificate, my ATP um, type rating okay. is for a DC-9. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, anyway, uh, and, and they did a pretty good job with uh, their facts here in this article, I, have, I must say. Um, let's see, the, the Series 80 was larger with a higher maximum takeoff weight and greater fuel capacity. The planes also got technology and engine updates, too. Uh, the name was changed to uh, MD-80 in 1983. And then they talk a little bit about the 88 and uh, the um, flat panel displays of the 
basic instrument still in the basic light, you know, conventional six pack layout. Um, anyway, that's a interesting camper. It looks a lot like it was when I flew it or flew something similar to this. Mm-hmm. I don't know where the, where is, where do you sleep? Where do you sleep? Yeah. In the overhead? Bin? I don't know. <laughs> Just pop those open, a little mattress in there. I don't know. Let's see here. I didn't see anything that looked that resembled a bed. Well, here's the toilet is there. Yeah, there's, there's a no toilet shower, though. and an air conditioning unit on the outside, but no shower. Uh, hmm. Let's see. Sadly, since the bathroom uses the aircraft's original lavatory, you don't get a shower. Another downside is this thing weighs in at 8,346 <laughs> kilograms. Holy cow. Well, there you go. Uh, yeah, that means what? That's about 20,000 pounds. It's heavy. Times wow. 2.2. Yeah. Uh, that means you'll want something like a well-equipped Ford 350 or similar truck. The person writing this article knows something about RVs. I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the seller had it up for sale on eBay last month. It failed to sell after 11 bids totaling 38177 The seller's buy-it-now price was $62.5. This is a huge wad of cash, but this is also a unique vehicle. I'm not sure... If it's worth the ask, but I still absolutely love it, according to Mercedes. I think this is one you would just park on your own property somewhere and never actually yeah. take it to your home base on the road. Like that guy that has a 727 in his background. Yeah. Uh, backyard. Backyard. Him. Yeah. Your home um, base. Yeah. No, I'll pass. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm all set, dude. Yeah. It's cool, though. I have. It is cool. I it do appreciate cool. it. Thank you, Mrs. It's good idea. All right, uh, Daniel sent us in some more uh, links to videos, and we'll play a couple of them because they are very amusing. He says, uh, Captain Jeff, I was listening to the most recent podcast when uh, Aero Sucre uh, came up. They certainly have a reputation for shenanigans in clapped-out old airliners. It seems they do a lot of flying in and out of unimproved airstrips, perhaps a little overweight at times. I've attached a couple of videos for your entertainment. Thanks for the awesome show. And he says, Dan. All right. So I'm going to take a little extra time to share. I'm just going to pick the first one that I have listed in my list. So here we go. See what happens. Get up! Get up! Bank angle, bank angle. I thought that's what he Whoa. said. Get up, bank, bank angle. Where are you going? Like, what was wrong with straight ahead there? Uh, uh, well, you gotta, you gotta go see some people here. Well, that's yeah, what. for sure. The flyby. Yeah. Press the, you gotta close the tower. Flying over, uh, uh, over the girlfriend's house. Flying over the girlfriend's house. Yes, Liz. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, right oh, yeah, there. there. That's right where there. she is. Hey, get a picture. Get a picture. Hey. Yes. She's, she's hey, nude hey. sun baby. Hi, Mom. <laughs> Man, you need to, if you're just listening, you need to go watch the uh, the uh, YouTube video for this one. This is uh, yeah, the, the, some interesting um, flying happening. Immediately after the airplane broke ground, the thing was already in something that uh, the systems didn't like it didn't like the bank, bank angle, angle they were using <laughs> a little bit of an excessive bank angle there yeah, a little bit oh we gotta make this immediate turn otherwise i'm not gonna be able to see this house that for I safety see and take a picture of uh let's see i didn't want to share screen i want to do this share video let's see another one shall we this is fun um I enjoy this. let's see let's do this one i forgot what these were um 
Yeah, destroy it. Oh, it's a landing this time. Uh, 7.37. Exactly. He's coming in. Coming in. Oh. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Door's open. <laughs> Perfect. It's a, it's, a, it's a freighter version of the uh, airplane. And uh, the... The cargo door cargo came open doors. as they touched down. Like actually, the exterior. It might not have been shut in the first place. It, it actually was before. Let me go to the beginning here. Um, if you, I know it's hard to see because it's it's not uh, uh, zoomed in very much, but I believe that the door is st is open already. Open. It was never it shut. Down, down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it came open in flight. Uh, you oh, can kind of see it, it right there. Yeah. yeah, that's an interesting flare maneuver too. Yeah, no, it was kind of a flare. <laughs> it was a. It was a. Should we flare? Wait for yeah. it. Yeah, flare now. Definitely flare. <laughs> yep. Do it now. Okay, let me uh, get the next Keep one. Keep going. I want to watch all of these. These are great. Um, share video file. And uh, where is the next one? Here we go. Okay. I see treetops through those clouds there. Yep. But it's oh. mostly just clouds. Oh, and he it's just went clouds. to idle. He just went to idle on the throttles. <laughs> Okay. That seems like a good idea. Well, I don't see anything. Do you see anything? I see nothing. I see clouds. He's calling out numbers, okay, wait, presumably. Okay, okay, here. Wait, 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 I'm going to go right at the beginning again. Watch watch okay. the throttle quadrant. Oh, I saw it. <laughs> okay. And as you and mentioned, there is yeah, some low there, terrain. There is some very low terrain there. Yeah, just, no, we don't need any more uh, power. We've got idle. plenty of power. <laughs> it's fine. Let's get down fast. Uh, yeah, just a bunch of clouds. Can't really make out anything but the reflection of his piece of paper on his little clipboard thing there. Mm -hmm. um, and we're still in the clouds. This has been going on for a while. Yeah. Oh, now there's. Oh, oh I still. Some, oh, oh, I saw some houses. Houses. Yes, yeah, very close. Very close. Are you doing like the landing checklist still? Uh huh. I, okay. I think so. I I I don't. It, like, why are they not on the ground yet? Because, oh, wait, I see something, sort of. Okay. A little, Some like, a hole in the broken trees. layer. Yep. I'd say I definitely I broken. I their altimeter there. I know. Oh, it's a little higher than I thought, but still Maybe they were going, like, over high terrain before. They might have, but still. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't you guys just talk about this, like, in one of the first news items? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay, we're still looking still in the clouds for an still airport. In the clouds, occasional. Uh, oh, here's an airport. I see, I see a runway. Uh, we're not lined up. Lined no, up with no, it not lined up with it at all. Oh, there it is. Are they laughing about it? I think, but they do the right thing. Believe it or not, they decide not to around. try to <laughs> land that. Not to try to. Again, that must be like an NDB approach or something dumb. Yeah, could be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that was interesting. Uh, Probably just a VOR approach that wasn't coincident with the uh, runway heading. It could have been. Yeah. Uh. And then finally, if I can find it, the last one is that was a go around. No, I guess I only did three of them. Hmm. There's four in the. There's four in the. I know, but um, I'm just trying. What's the one that I didn't play? Can you tell from the uh, title? Hold on, on I'd have to. No, I have to. Oh, uh, it's another uh, low takeoff from an outside perspective. Well, I yeah. don't know why it's not in the video folder that Can I need to use. Oh well. Well, I'm I'm watching it right now, but oh, it's, that's not okay. exciting for anybody. 
other than me because you can't hear it. But it's I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be a very similar profile to the first one that we watched. Uh, hold on, we're still taking off here. And... It almost looks like the exact same runway. As yeah, may have had the one. Do they make a yeah. sharp left turn? Uh, they just barely got off the ground right at the very end of the runway. Uh huh. No, and then they continued straight ahead. Oh, so, so it was a different. Not not as. Um, they did use up most of the runway though, like most of it. Yeah, I think that's mm -hmm. a standard operating procedure for this <laughs> yeah. airline. Yeah, yeah. Use it oh, all. Aero sucre. <laughs> mm. Or as I like to call it, aero sucker. Oh, All right. Um, Let's go to number 13, Jeff. 13. Thank you. I want to thank Dan before we move on. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, we'll uh, have this in the show notes. so You can watch them with uh, your own popcorn and adult beverage because you'll need I'm it. I'm going to go back and watch it again. That was impressive. All yeah, of it. And not stuff. necessarily in a good way. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're skipping to 13. I think you said, didn't you, Liz? Yeah. 13, okay. Yeah. Uh, Robert. Uh, sent us a link to this New York Times article. Uh, Robert in Tucker, Georgia, passing the time with a piano plane pilot. As a pilot with United Airlines, Bo Brandt flies North American routes. At every layover, he looks to play a mix of jazz, classical, and more for his crew and strangers. It's after midnight at Palm Court. I'll go ahead and put that one on at the piano if you'd like. Yep. In Cincinnati, and staff is trying to close. Lights are dimmed as the last of the martini glasses and beer bottles are scooped up. But Bo Brandt is still at the piano, playing for stragglers. Finally, a waitress gives him the, let's get out of here, you know, and gives him the, the like, the neck, uh, cutting the neck sign. No, wrap it up sign. Probably a good idea since he has a flight to catch the next day and he can't be late. He's the captain. Perhaps there are other piano playing airline pilots, but how many have cut seven albums, wow, performed for a U.S. president and had an original song used by Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> Probably not too many. No. Mr. Brandt, 41, has been playing and flying most of his life. He started on the piano at age three. Wow. I think I was like five or six and was flying by 12. I, I was flying by 42. Uh, a pilot with uh, United <laughs> Airlines for 17 years. Mr. Brandt considers flying job number one, but with every layover, he looks for a place to play just for the fun of it. A regular performer now at many of his layover hotels, Mr. Brandt flies domestic routes from his home base in Denver to the likes of Madison, Wisconsin. Yay. Raleigh-Durham. Yay. Yay. And Jackson Hole. Yay. Okay. I, he flies the same kind of stuff I fly, the, mm -hmm. the short routes or medium routes. He still has the occasional gig back home. His house piano is a Yamaha Grand, Oof. nice, but gets most excited about playing on the road for his crew and strangers. And he's fallen in love with the bar at Palm Court, a soaring Art Deco venue in the Hilton Cincinnati Netherland Plaza. The piano reminds him. The piano area reminds me of the Titanic's Grand Staircase. Hmm. His uh, sets are ram a rambling mix of jazz, blues, classical, and show tunes. His style features a flashy right hand and plenty of bounce, but no sheep music. He loves talking about his two passions. Typical pilot. You want to know how you tell if someone's a pilot? Uh, he'll tell you. Exactly. Or they'll tell you. She'll tell you. <laughs> I'll do it. Uh, all right. So 
there you have it. Interesting. Um, I think Robert asked if it was something that I would do. No, I'm, I don't, I'm not as good as this guy. Long way away from his talent. So I'd just embarrass myself if I sat down at the piano uh, at a layover. Mm. Just like Maverick and 14 and 15, Jeff, because you got lots of overlays there. Let's use them. Sorry. What'd you say, uh, Steph? Oh, I said just like Maverick and Goose. Isn't that oh, what they okay. say? Let's go embarrass ourselves. <laughs> yeah. And they sit down at the piano. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. I heard you. I'm going to go embarrass myself with Goose <laughs> is what Maverick says. That's no, right. Next to my uh, okay. gotcha. top gun quotes. All right, uh, number 14. Uh, this is sent in from Paul, uh, Aussie Air Force, and this is from defense.pk. What's PK? Hmm. The, uh, no Pakistan? Idea. I don't know. Okay, I'm not sure. Uh, this man owns the world's most advanced private Air Force after buying 46 FA-18 Hornets. Oh, yeah, from Pakistan Defense. And... Uh, this comes from, yeah, defense.pk, which is uh, Pakistan. All right, so there's a picture of the gentleman, Don Curlin, has been flying for the airlines for the last 30 years, working on real estate deals, setting up the world's biggest skydiving meets, and building a private air force, the likes of which even he has a hard time believing is possible. Just last month, the war zone was among the first to report that his company would be purchasing multiple squadrons worth of surplus Royal Australian Air Force, RAAF, FA-18 Hornets, uh, like uh, Captain, Captain Nick, Nick used to fly. Um, in fact, he probably flew one of those. Or did probably. his, I think one of his went to the to Canada. Museum Canada so I guess maybe yeah. that's not part of the deal. Uh, to be used in the contractor adversary air support role here in the U.S. In Ooh. that role, they would primarily fly against U.S. military fighter pilots, replicating aerial threats from potential enemy nations. So basically, they are bad guys for hire, but strictly for training and development work. Now that the next uh, the the Liz the the Liz the Liz that slide is showing the slide that the slides that Liz is showing are uh, part not we haven't quite gotten to that point yet in the article. Uh, now only do we have the uh, now not only do we have the details on that purchase, which is even more impressive than it initially seemed, but we talked at length with the entrepreneur owner of Air USA located in Quincy, Illinois about his company's past and what it's turning into and what is turning into a remarkable, if not downright historic future. Uh, Don Curlin imported his first foreign military jet in L-39 Albatross in 1994. And then since then, he has repeated the process dozens of times over and was the first owner of a private, go ahead, MiG-29 Fulcrum in the United States. And there's a picture of that. Among a long list of other exotic flying firsts, he now holds eight licenses with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, allowing him to own military machine guns and cannons, as well as thousands of rounds of ammunition to fire through them. He was also one of the early pioneers of the then-fledgling of not wholly experimental adversary air support market. In the early 2000s, he joined forces with Airborne Tactical Advantage Company, ATAC, Oh, I get it. Attack, <laughs> which was blazing a trail with their contracts with the Navy to supply fast jet targets and electronic warfare pod toting adversaries that mimic everything from enemy crews, missiles to fighters for Navy and Marine fighter aircraft and Navy surface combatants to train against. Anyway, basically what we're saying here, this guy 
is quite a wheeler dealer and obviously a type a personality <laughs> and i guess he gets bored easily because man i i mean just any of these things that this guy has done i would that would be it for me wow probably doesn't have a yeah, podcast. Yeah, that's, that's more than I can do, for sure. Yeah, that's probably, Liz says, he probably doesn't have a podcast. I don't know. I wouldn't put it past this guy. Maybe he does have a podcast. Um, yeah, anyway. It's a lot so of aircraft. Does he sing in church? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't I They didn't say anything about singing in church uh, in the in the article and doing a podcast. So, yeah, he's got nothing on me. That's right. No, exactly. Uh, anyway, so it's an, an amazing thing that this uh, gentleman has uh put together and a lot of interesting facts in this article. So check it out in the show notes. It's kind of cool though. Get to be the professional bad guys. Oh yeah. For practice. I've flown actually with um, a guy, um, one of my first officers a while back that um, it's not this outfit. It's another outfit. I just don't remember the name. I'm of sure it. there's various contractors. Yeah, that but do they, this type of stuff he's involved the in this sort of thing as well. Mm -hmm. um, hmm. Yeah. Cool. Uh, let's see. Number 15, uh, Keith from Little Rock. Hope all is well. I love the feedback and discussion from Brad on episode 516 regarding hard landings. I think we can all relate. I'd like to share my own story. I mentioned on previous feedback that I am currently working on my sport pilot certificate. In January, I reached that major milestone of flight training and was signed off by my instructor to solo. Of course, excuse me. After getting my endorsement, I wasn't just going to sit at home while a perfectly good airplane sat in the hangar. So I spent that next weekend determined to fly and perfect my landings and maneuvers. That Sunday, after having flown the previous two days, I was brimming with confidence as I took the Cessna 162 up for what I planned to be a nice morning of pattern work and touch and goes. After four decent landings, in retrospect, I don't think my flying was particularly great, I lined up for what I planned to be my final landing on runway 22 at Conway Regional Airport, Kilo Charlie X-Ray Whiskey. Winds were light, sky conditions clear. After crossing the runway threshold, I pulled back the throttle and flared. Unfortunately, my flare was too high and I really had not managed my speed well. The plane landed very hard in the mains and immediately bounced right back into the air, then came right back down, almost on the nose gear, then bounced back up and then down again, this time landing nose wheel first, and then somehow I was able to get the plane under control and taxi with my tail between my legs off the runway and to the ramp. After a few seconds of WTF, my heart rate started to calm down. The plane seemed to taxi okay off the runway, so the wheels and struts must be okay, I thought. But that was definitely enough for me, so I headed for the hangar. It was then I saw what I'd really done. I know now I had entered into a porpoise landing where the plane sets off into a series of jumps and dives which usually ends with landing on the nose wheel and often causes nose wheel collapse and the dreaded prop strike. That's what I did, folks, to the perfectly good airplane I started the day with. I've attached a photo of the prop. Go ahead, Liz. There we go. Ooh. Ooh. As I put the plane up, something seemed odd about the prop. And after looking again, the tips were bent and twisted. I don't think I've felt that sick to my stomach before or since. My flying career just ended before it started, I was sure. My first call was to manager of our flying club. I was actually pleasantly surprised about his response, first wanting to just make sure that I was okay. After assuring him that I was fine, the next words he said were, 
you know, you can always go around, right? <laughs> mm, he sounds like he's familiar with the song. <laughs> yeah. We then called the owner of the plane, who again was so generous. He first just wanted to make sure I was okay, and then assured me that's what insurance is for. Just happy, happy you're okay. Wow. Nice. Nice. Yeah, the, nice people. The aviation community never ceases to amaze me. I just caused his plane to be grounded for who knows how long, and their only concerns were about my well-being. I did learn, thankfully, that a prop strike is a non-reportable incident, so at least it wouldn't be on my record, except for logbook, where I have duly noted with several sad faces. Aww. That is the appropriate uh, entry. <laughs> yeah. oh. Of course, the final call I had to make uh, was to my CFI. Yeah, was not looking forward to his call. He didn't answer, so I sent him a text asking him to call me and letting him know I had an incident landing that morning. It seemed like hours before he called me back. When he did, I related the story. There was a brief pause, and then he says, We worked on go-arounds, didn't we? <laughs> uh, we ended up having a great conversation. The club manager and my CFI were absolutely correct. The second the plane bounced so high back in the air, my reaction should have been to hit that throttle, get her into ground effect, and then climb out to try it again. I bet you all know the theme song that runs in my head every time I line up on final now. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, It's in our heads all the time, too. Yep. Uh, I guess I should play it, right? Yeah, play it. Okay. Uh, I mean, there's this is a great excuse to play this song. Absolutely. And here we go. Go around. Mm -hmm. Don't like... Oh, I must have shut, mm -hmm. shortened that up. Sorry. Uh, so sorry for the long story, but I think it illustrates several good points. I was so discouraged that day that I thought maybe I should just hang it up and flying wasn't for me. If it wasn't, uh, for the, if it wasn't though, for the plane owner, my club manager and my CFI continuing to encourage me and recount their own stories of bad landings, I might have, I'm even, I've even become close friends with the owner who I had not met before that day. So for all the student pilots listening, there will be times during your training you'll make mistakes and get discouraged. But remember, everyone goes through it, and you'll be a better pilot for your mistakes. That's for sure. In other news, uh, after I grounded the Skycatcher, I moved over to training in my instructor's Technam P-2008, a beautiful plane, and we are close to getting my checkride scheduled in a few weeks. Yay! And I took the ultimate plunge, and bought one myself. Wow, nice. Yeah, look at that. I'm now the proud owner of a 2009 Technum P2008 registration, November 208 Tango Alpha. My instructor and I flew it from Hanover, Virginia to Searcy, Arkansas a few weeks ago, and I'm now using it to finish up my training. I've attached a couple of photos as well as myself in the left seat on the flight. Cheers and hope you all enjoyed my own mea culpa so to speak, Keith. And there's a picture of him with his uh, flight instructor, I think, or someone. They look very similar. Is your flight instructor your oh, brother? Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, maybe they were related. Maybe this is just... Uh, <laughs> that's when they were flying from Virginia. Oh, uh, they were flying from Virginia uh, to... No, on uh, the flight. That's with his instructor. So, yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. You guys just have, yeah, very similar... Um, they do. Mm -hmm. I guess that, you know what, though? Everybody looks like that in Arkansas. Yeah. Because they're all related. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's not true. Oh. Ouch, um, I did not say that. Ouch. That's in Keith. Arkansas. Um, yeah. No, a couple good things here. Yes, first of all, I'm glad that you got that great response from 
you know, the club, the owner, the your your CFI first and foremost. Yeah, you gotta make sure the people involved are okay. Yeah. Um, airplanes and and airplane parts and things can either be fixed or replaced. That's you know uh, certainly possible. Um, but I'm glad you got back into flying right away too, because I think a lot of people, when something like this does happen, get like you said, they they get discouraged to the point where they just don't continue, and then you live with a lot of what ifs and just doubt about your abilities and and mm-hmm. that's not good for the long term for a lot of reasons so yep congrats to you to getting back at it and let us know how the check ride goes yeah and maybe and your airplane's really nice yeah i love that that's a beautiful airplane that's a, yeah it's gorgeous that technam to the i guess is that a light sport yeah wow mm-hmm. very pretty. nice yeah very pretty very sleek uh let's see when did he send this in i'm trying to see how long ago it was uh, April 19th. So I guess he probably hasn't taken his check ride yet. Though. No, it was just a few days. That was a, yeah. a week ago. So hopefully he'll, uh, he'll follow up and thank you so much for, for sending that in Keith, because, uh, it, it's, it's great advice and great. Uh, you're a great example for a lot of people just to keep, you know, the stick to it, to it, it,ness and and these things these things do happen and we often don't hear the stories of people right. um you know continuing on afterwards and and sharing their experiences when things aren't so perfect so thank you you know what i always think of when i i think of uh, you know stick to itiveness um or just sticking to it um is the and we and this was a few years back on the show where we covered the incident where I don't remember it was a, some kind of a high wing Cessna I believe coming in for landing and then a, a car was going by, at oh, the uh-huh. and, and they hit the and car it the top of the and, car yeah, yeah and the I thing that. flipped over and I mean uh-huh. basically crash yeah, it was landed a, wasn't it a student pilot in that <laughs> yeah. one too yeah. yeah yeah and he and he continued to fly after that he continued to take mm-hmm. lessons I think it was like one of his first flights and I'm thinking yeah. well I'm sure he's never going to do that again <laughs> but yeah. I mean, well, mm-hmm. probably not that again. Not not that actual type yeah. of incident, but, but uh, he kept flying, sure. uh, which Great was amazing to me. From iHall boxes. Oh, what does iHall boxes say? Experience is the sum of our mist- our mistakes. Yes, very good. I like that. Okay, and he's not joking around this time. All right, it is now time for us to wrap it up, and uh, that means we're gonna point you over toward the website airlinepilotguy.com where there's lots of stuff there and I'm not going to go through it. You've heard me say it many, many times and if you haven't been there by now, well, shame on you. Yeah. Taco. That's Truman. Truman Ah, wants you to know. Truman is upset with you if you haven't gone to the website. Actually, now it's both of them. They're both upset. It's very distressing to my dogs (laughs) if you have not been to the website. It is. It is. Uh, So check it out, airlinepilotguy.com and we're also on the social media things we are indeed you can head over to facebook.com slash airline pilot guy uh we're also on twitter we're at apg crew and you can find our individual twitter handles pinned to the top of that page instagram we're at or apg crew there and i actually did try to go onto instagram and put some of Nick's artwork on this last time around uh-huh. and then I discovered that since I uh, whenever it was that I got my new phone um, my phone did not store the login credentials uh-huh. for the APG so even if I wanted to um, I, I need to get those login credentials from you again that sounds I'll... like a very plausible excuse <laughs> well it's a good excuse except I would have had to have tried previous to this time around I did yeah. not know that I was logged out of it Ah. Huh. 
Okay. Well, I'll give. I'll give. Just remind me. I, I'll okay. probably I'll not send remember. You I need I'll to send, send them to Nick Camacho too. I keep forgetting to mm-hmm. do that. But uh, you know, not only are we on the you know the standard social media things, but we are also on uh, Slack. So let me say, hey, hello, hello. Can you can you tell us about Slack, please? No way, Jeff. I'm social distancing. All right, then uh, we're not going to find out about Slack this week. But fortunately for you, I have a recording of him. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Hang on, still 15 seconds to go. That's okay, we went ahead and played the recording of you talking about it. We'll just wait till next week. All right. And we also want to thank our producer, Liz Piper. Thank you, Liz. Thank you for everything you do. I can't can't tell you how much it means to me and the rest of us here on the APG crew and to the community. So thank you, Liz, for everything you do. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. And that means it's time now for us to finally say... Have a great week, a great weekend, and hope to see you here next week. Wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. a good good pilot till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, how guy I fly